Pelly Primo needs your help. As a lot of you may know, friend of the show, Pelly Primo, shared his story as part of the Speaking Out movement last summer. Now, Pelly is facing a legal battle because of sharing his story. Help out Pelly by donating to his defense fund at GoFundMe.com slash FightPellyFight. That's GoFundMe.com slash Fight, P-E-L-L-E, Fight. And if you donate and show us at an honorable mention that you have donated to Pelly's Defense Fund, we have some perks for you. If you donate $50 or more, you get a year of ad-free access to an honorable mention, plus two DVDs from Jeff's DVD collection. If you donate $100 or more, you'll get ad-free access to the show for a year and two DVD sets from Jeff's personal collection. Help out our friend Pelly at GoFundMe.com slash FightPellyFight. This is an honorable mention with Jeff Schwartz and Shane Hagedorn. Part of the Creative Control Network of Podcasts. In the shuffling madness of the locomotive brass Runs the all-time loser Headlong to his death Oh, it feels a piston scraping Steam breaking on his brow Hey now, it's Tuesday, you know what that means. Happy Tuesday for Tuesday and welcome to another chapter of An Honorable Mention, the essential Ring of Honor retrospective podcast covering the most successful independent wrestling promotion of this generation. I'm your host, Jeff Schwartz, and alongside is my co-host, our expert analyst, the head of logistics, all elite wrestling staff writer, the mayor of merchandise, the timekeeper of the show, the warrior of the Wayback Machine, the King of Cage Match, and Ring of Honor alumni, also Brent Albright's manager on the show, Shane Hagedorn. Indeed I was. Indeed I was. And you managed to escape unscathed. Yeah, because I was on his team. But uh, today we're going to be be talking about a very fun show. Uh, the Ring of Honor 6th anniversary show, the winner of the poll. Uh, so I'm excited to get into the minutiae of this event. It was a fun show to be at live. And uh, we'll be talking about the show uh, after we get into our usual plugs and uh, upcoming uh, Patreon stuff, things of that nature. But before we start, I did want to mention uh, Ring of Honor alumni adjacent because That's he did a, a straight reach. He did a straight shooting series episode. Now you just lo- by, by putting that in there, you just lumped Mr. Fuji, yes, uh, Ken Patera, yes, uh, Sandman. Well, Sandman is actually yeah. <laughs> Miss Clara. I was um, in Blue Meanie. Uh, right. Blue Meanie uh, was on the last event oh. with fans that Ring of Honor ran. He was in the Free Enterprise Battle Royale. Okay. Well, I'm just by, by saying sh- alumni attacking it onto straight shooting um, series, you just lumped a lot of people in there who were never uh, who yeah. never set foot on a Ring of Honor show. It had the three letters on the cover. <laughs> Therefore, I'm a count. 
But, okay, uh, and that means now anyone who appeared on Frontiers of Honor is Ring of Honor alumni. Anyone who appeared yes. on Collision Course is a Ring of Honor alumni. Yes. Oh, lovely. Okay. And Frontiers of Honor 2. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know what else. Yeah. Interpromotional shows. But uh, Butch Reed passed away this past week. And uh, he did an episode of the Straight Shooting series back when Ring of Honor was doing shoot interviews. Back when shoot interviews were, I don't know, kind of video podcasts. Yeah. For lack of a better term. Yeah. Um, but uh, I have watched a lot of Butch Reed in the last week. Uh, I think we talked about it on the show a number of times. Doom is my all-time favorite tag team. Um. So I was very saddened to hear that Butch passed away. <laughs> Why are you laughing? This is a serious moment. Here. Because uh, it's been a while since I've had a chance to point this out, but your all-time favorite tag team list is much like Bruce Pritchard's. It's, it's got 37 names on it. It's got 37 names on it. No, it has two. Doom and Demolition. That's it. And then there's, like, other teams on my... I like these people very much. Mm-hmm. But Doom and Demolition are my two all-time favorite tag teams. I see. And I would take Doom ahead of Demolition. All right, so Doom is the... Doom is capital, the ultimate... Capital letters, the tag team. Yes, underlined. Mm-hmm. Bolded, multiple exclamation points. Um... But Butch Reed was was much more beyond just being a part of Doom with Ron Simmons. He was a great wrestler in the UWF, uh, in the Mid-South Territory. Someone would say he was a natural at it. Yes, he would go on to the WWF, uh, where he would be there from 86 to about the early part of 88. I'm trying to think if he was in that first Royal Rumble or not. Uh but it was like 20 guys, so kind of hard to remember. Dug in one, the other hacksaw. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, they had great matches against each other. Uh, so if you're you know, deep into the YouTubes and you want to search out a Butch Reed singles match from the old days, um, with the blonde hair or without the blonde hair, uh, highly recommended. Uh, people don't realize how good he, he was. Um, and he was kind of on the back end, the back nine of his career as a part of Doom. Uh, he'd only be a full-time competitor for another two years. Uh, when Doom split up in 91, they had the Super Brawl cage match. The Thunder Doom cage match, I believe it was called. <laughs> With Teddy Long in a mini cage above the... Vi- this is the shortest wrestling cage I've ever seen, too. By the wow. Way. No roof. Uh, Butch Reed's like 6'3". I think this cage was like 6'5". <laughs> it was so short. Um, Did they set it on the ground instead of on the ring? No, it was on the <laughs> ring. Okay. Because they had That's the big ramp. Uh-huh. Awesome. So, yeah, it was super awkward. Um, but uh, I, I was a big Butch Reed fan, and uh, you know, sixty-six years old is uh, pretty young. It's that's how old my dad is, so that hit me pretty hard. And it's been kind of a rough week for me. Um, 
lost uh, two of my best friends, um, brothers. Uh, their father passed away from COVID this week and uh, 71 years of age. So uh, it's been a rough week and uh, nothing nothing sucks more than realizing you're in the generation where you're you're going to be losing parents instead of grandparents. Um, so it's kind of a an eye opener. But uh, I don't know. That's my little soapbox in the banter section of the format. If you're a Patreon member, uh, you see the word banter at the top of our format. Uh, that's where we we just discuss whatever. It's it's unscripted. Jeff talks and I mock him. That's kind of what it usually ends up being. Yeah, you're mocking the deaths, the early deaths of two people. Two legends. No! Two. Yeah, Mr. Streb, man. He was a uh, OG. Oh, okay. Yeah. He, he's the mo- he was the most... Uh, like, if you wanted a dad and you were, like, in your 20s, but you were, like, drawing up the idea of what the, the ideal fatherly figure would be, Mr. Streb was a great example of that. Because he was funny... He was sarcastic. He made fun of you if you were a goof, and that included his own two children, two of his own two boys. Uh, they also had a daughter, um, but he he was like a joy to be around, and it didn't feel like hanging around with your dad uh, when he would be around. So he will be missed. Butch Reed will be missed, and uh, one thing that has not missed in the past week. And that is something very important to both Shane and I is GoFundMe.com backslash Fight Fight. We have made it over the $10,000 mark. So thank you very much, everyone who is donating to Pelly Primo's Legal Defense Fund. Uh, we appreciate everyone retweeting the link uh, and quote tweeting the link. So thank you very much uh, for the free plug ski. Uh, GoFundMe.com backslash Fight Pelly Fight. And hot off the presses for pre-order this week, a t-shirt benefiting Pelly Primo and his legal defense fund. So head over to Square of Opposition. That's squareofopposition.limitedrun.com. And you'll see some sloths on a black t-shirt. Uh... Those sloths were drawn by one Ring of Honor legend, Grizzly Redwood. Who he's, happens, a, he's a bit of an artist. Yeah, he happens to be a very talented artist. And I really want him to draw me something I can hang in my home. But he, he refuses. I've asked at least a dozen times. Well, uh, the, the direct link to the t-shirt uh, sale will be in the full description of the pod. Yep. Uh, but Rhett Titus hooked up uh, the t-shirt with uh, squareofopposition.limitedrun.com and uh, the shirt is available for, for pre-order and uh, 20 bucks for a t-shirt. And it's a, it doesn't look like a wrestling shirt, so it's a winner. <laughs> and I'll... I'll pro- <clears throat> All proceeds uh, go to support Pelly's legal fund. Yep. And, uh, of course, you know, those same incentives that we've talked about the last few weeks, if you're donating to the GoFundMe, 
they are still standing. Two DVDs if you donate 50, and if you donate 100, two multi-disc sets. Um, you'll get every episode the rest of this year early and ad-free. And uh, you can also get the episodes early and ad-free over at patreon.com backslash an honorable pod. That's patreon.com backslash an honorable pod. You'll get the Ring of Honor program series, courtesy of Alex Sugarfoot Payne. Uh, we're on week four, I believe, of the program series this week. So if you've purchased programs from attending shows over the years uh, and you, you kind of had them go away uh, just through the sands of time, you can relive them via PDF scan or I guess JPEG scan on patreon.com backslash honorable pod. You can email us at an honorable mention at gmail.com. And uh, that's for advertising. Any questions you might have, questions on Patreon, questions on Pelly uh, and his GoFundMe or the t shirt, uh, we're happy to answer them for you. Emailing us at an honorable mention at gmail.com. The archives, which we will mention, what do you say, partner? 637. I'm taking the under. Uh, they're available at an honorable mention dot backslash main. That's an honorable mention dot dot com backslash main. We are brought to you by the Creative Control Network. Be sure to follow the head of the Creative Control Network, Mr. Joe Feeney. He's on Twitter at JWF, ha ha, double E, ha ha, N E Y, three R D, and at the CC Network One for all the latest news and notes on the Creative Control Network. Be sure to follow our verified scientist of sound, our astronaut of audio, our purveyor of production, the ace of action figures, the base master general, the technician of trouble, the best broadcast machine, the award-winning autocrat of advertisement, the cleaner of audio, and the man celebrating a decade of domination on the airwaves this week. He is the man that delivers us the intro and outro every single week. He is Zach Johnson. He is on Twitter and Instagram at RadioZT, and he makes sure that we sound cooler than the other side of a pillow. You can be someone that's worthy of an honorable mention. Yes, you, by being one of our patrons today at patreon.com slash an honorable pod. For as little as $4 a month, you can help us to create all of the awesome content that you love from an honorable mention. At the early bird level at $4 a month, you get the show early and ad-free every single week. Plus, the higher tier you subscribe, the more bonus perks you get, like additional content exclusive to patrons, like watch-alongs and more, DVDs, merch, and more. Check it all out at patreon.com slash an honorable pod today and be somebody that's worthy of an honorable mention. Well, partner, let's dive into it. It's worthy of an honorable mention. It's February 23rd, 2008, and we are in New York City, New York, at the Grand Ballroom inside the Manhattan Center for the sixth anniversary show, proudly presented by GoFundMe.com backslash Fight Fight and by Patreon.com backslash an honorable pod. So I have good news for you, partner. What's that? Not only did I save a bunch of money on my car insurance by switching to not a sponsor in this very show, 
Uh, the video wires that are on this show are the exact same two video wires that we covered on Eye of the Storm. High five. So my so, curiosity was if you didn't realize it and watched the full thing. No, I looked. Uh, okay, good, good, good. I wrote down, I wonder if Jeff will freak out again and forget we already watched this. He did not. <laughs> I can proudly report. He okay. did not freak good out. Good to know. Uh, good to know. I, I kind of saw the... Um, the highlight package with Davey pinning Tyler, and I thought, hmm, this looks familiar. And then I scanned forward a little bit on the video, and I saw Nigel throwing shadow boxing punches in the ocean, and I said... The fact that you didn't realize it was the same video wire from the opening second when Carrie, Brian, and Nigel are together? <laughs> well, that comes after Davey and Tyler highlights and clips. There's the Davey and Tyler... Nigel pinning Hero in the cage, uh, and then Nigel beating Roddy in Chicago, and then the carry introduction of the main event for this show. It's the very first thing you see on the very first video wires carry Nigel and Brian. No, but there's highlights, and there's also an ROHvideos.com commercial. Yeah, but you see Brian, you see the Brian Carry and Nigel face to face right away. Well, I didn't see that part. <laughs> uh, but you can hear us talk about it at length in the archives on the Eye of the Storm episode. And if you're the night before this. Yes. And if you're um, on Patreon and you see the format, I did copy and paste video wire notes into the format for this week from Eye of the Storm, available in the archives. Yes. Um, yes. Suffice so tra- to say, though, at least the events on this one, on this show, happen as yes. opposed to Eye of the Storm, which um, one announced match happens, which couldn't help but think, I wonder what this card would have looked like. Oof. Yeah. What could this card have looked like? Well, people were unable to get here. No, Nigel. No Roddy, no Eric, no Davey, no Aries, or sorry, no Aries and Goer there, so no Joey Matthews. Nope. Uh, yeah. Would have been no a, a very, very different card. No Albright. No mm. Allison Danger. But most importantly, Nigel. Yes. I feel like the champion probably could have gotten a private jet in. Uh, if that was cost said, feasible. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yes. Right. The come on in two thousand eight. Private jet. <laughs> I'll get you next time, pal, on your uh, your gas receipts, but we'll cover this private jet. Well listen, I mean Kerry was losing money. Why not lose a little bit more money here? Yeah, we probably would have ended up with like Brian and Kevin in the main event for a number one content. The net, the winner gets the next shot or something like that. Oh, uh, I'm trying to think with the pile of names left, what could have been done? Because you couldn't have done a, t- a tournament two nights in a row. I mean, you could have. Make it a tag team tournament now. <laughs> Just throw people together. 
That's what what I'm Just have Brian and Kevin in the main event, and the winner is, gets the first crack at Nigel afterwards. So here, double feature. Here's what I would have done had that happened. I would have done a gauntlet match all show. I hate you right now. Why? It's a terrible idea. Why? If you have like a roster of 15 people, let's say. A three-hour gauntlet match. But not everybody's in the ring for three hours. Well, I know, but I'm just... No, it does I. I'm not a fan of this idea of yours. I'm sorry. I mean, you could have done a little bit of a break and had, you know, a women's match or some sort of interview segment. And it's not a gauntlet match if you break. If you have a double DQ and you got to wait for the next two guys to come out, the match continues with two new people. Booking just gets shittier and shittier. Text me about this one. No, Cowboy Pelly. He is the Bill Watts. Oh, thankfully, that didn't happen. How was your travel in for this show? Because mine sucked I, balls. I don't remember. I remember. I don't remember at all what it was like. I tried. I, I I tried to you know dig that one out of the 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 trenches of memory and got nothing. Well, it was a drive. It was a drive in a ring truck from one so snowstorm it, to a one part of New York to the next. It wasn't a bad trip in. It was more bad getting out of the hotel parking lot to get to the subway to go into the city. Um. So where we stayed, um, the hotel was kind of like down a, an embankment. It wasn't like super steep, but it was long. And it just became a patch of ice and snow. So going down it, super easy. Going up it to get out onto the main road to go to the subway station. Needless to say, that was... Um, that was a sketchy situation. Uh, it was a bit scary. We went backwards a couple times. I think it took us four times <laughs> attempting to go up the ramp. It should have just walked. I don't think we could have made it. I mean, it was a patch of ice. You imagine, like, getting up halfway up. Pretty and comedic, up. at least. Well, yes, but then you'd have been all wet going on the subway and going to the show. You could get sick. That will be risky. Uh, but, you know, with, with the idea of going in, this was one of the only times I drove uh, to the subway from Long Island. Usually we would just drive into the city, and then I would never drive out of the city. I would just fly out of LaGuardia, you know, because that's 15 minutes from Manhattan. Hmm. Um, Allegedly. Well, I mean, if you're going at 4 o'clock in the morning... Yeah, it's about the only way you're getting it in 15 minutes from Manhattan Center. So, like, this was kind of my... Well, not... I wasn't going directly from the building. It was usually go back to the hotel, which was kind of in Times Square, but kind of on the edge. Um, 
and then you get a you walk up a couple of blocks and get a cab. You're you have 15 20 minutes I would say. But I always took the first flight out Sunday morning to go home. And generally I'd pay, you know, 20 25 dollars for a cab ride, which is not yeah. bad in New York City. All things considered. And then you leave a little tip if they had a clean car. So it's like 20, 25 bucks. But uh, yeah, um, I did not fly home on Sunday. Uh, I had to fly home on Monday. Uh, so I spent another night at the hotel. Uh, this one at the hotel at LaGuardia Airport where the talent stayed. So that was interesting. Um, there was no sleep. And um, fire alarm may have gone off at one point. I won't mention any names as to who I was in a room with, but... I'm just going to assume it was Sonny, but that's a story for the end of the show. Yeah. What was that? <laughs> that was something. Um, but no, no sunny days for me, thankfully. Uh only when I got home was it actually sunny out, and we had no snow. That was the most interesting part of the, the trip home. I landed in Akron, Canton uh, at the airport, and it literally is the Akron, Canton airport, because half of it's in Akron and half of it is in Canton. Um, so if you're wondering the delineation there, it's the Akron Canton airport. Uh, I landed, there was no snow, there was no ice and it was like 25 degrees warmer. Well, you're talking about Ohio. So we know that nobody but you cares because it's Ohio. O-H-I-O. Oh, no. (laughs) We are the number four ranked basketball team in the NCAA. And the number 49th ranked state that people desire to live in. I'm surprised we're even that high at this rate. But our illustrious governor wants to make us very progressive. He mentioned that when he lifted our curfew today. Ah. We no longer have a COVID curfew. First time since October? Wow. I think. Um, we're under 2,000 cases multiple days this week. We do have the highest testing rate in the country. Excellent. So, you know, got to clean up the mess. Some way, shape, or form. We're so off track. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you want to get on track, we Back can talk about the ECW WWE Raw style opener we got on well, this very show. I think we should at least acknowledge, you know, Tally Primo and the dark match against Zach Gowan. That's true. Yeah. Uh, I read several commentary live reports on the match. Uh, They were not very complimentary, which I think is. Well, I I have no recollection of the match and I don't have the tape to watch it. So uh, I remember Pelly made like a great save on what could have been a very bad botch on that springboard that he did. Um, but he like used his knees to pull himself up to the top if that makes any sense Um, and you know Zach Gowan used to do the one leg like on the top rope and then tumble over to the floor yes Um, well he hit the apron 
It's the hardest part of the ring, in case you didn't know. Huh. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, it's hard to, to, to say because I did not watch that match back and it's not on the DVD, but um, I do remember the gallon bump because that was directly in front of me. And I remember just going, oh, and like shivering. Did you elbow the person next to you and say, it's the hardest part of the apron? No, because that was not a thing yet. Oh, okay. Um, That's good. But, yeah, that was the the dark match. It's probably like one of maybe a handful of dark matches in the history of the Manhattan Center. Yeah, they were rarities. Very rare. Um, So that's kind of a fun fact. But we start off uh, the DVD. We've got our, our, our... our expert analyst, our our broadcast journalism major, uh, please in- give her the proper introduction. Rebecca Bayless. Thank you. Uh, she. What? I said with the fake microphone. I want one of the. It's, it's not it's not her fault that they just handed her a microphone and just were kept di- didn't do anything. It I want the mic cube. I want the ROH mic cube mm-hmm. with the old just logo. Do what we did. Buy a mic cube and put a sticker on it that says ROH. It's exact. But I want the mic cube. It would look cool. Yeah. Yeah. My I, just, I just told you how to make it. Yeah, but it's not real then. It's just as real. It's a sticker. It's a sticker on a box. The sticker that was in the ring. Uh, right. But no, the microphone's not, not It's not plugged in. It's not an actually wireless microphone. It's just a prop with audio taken off the the shotgun camera. mic little cameras. So I always thought it was hilarious. Well, but she's a journalist, so it looks better. Um, but she enters the Vulture Squad locker room area, where uh, she is greeted by. That's just greeted by. You can hear it through the door, and this. And I was right. He he calls Mercedes Martinez the bootylicious vulture. Yeah. I did not remember it incorrectly. It's booty. delicious vulture, a chocolate vulture, and the masked one. <laughs> the ma- but he calls him, he says the masked one to Jigsaw. And that, I have no idea what the hell is going on in this promo. He, he has Mercedes, like, it wasn't called twerking that I recall in 2008, but she's basically twerking in the camera. She's the booty and, vulture. And no idea what else goes out of this promo, but it's a lot of Julius Smokes craziness. And it's great because it, it he's just so like feeling the the character of Julius Smokes that uh you know he's he's pumping up Jigsaw and Ruckus for their tag title shot. Yeah, Ruckus seems really excited. <laughs> He's very excited. To be fair, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm not going to say anything else. I'm not. I'm not incriminating anybody else uh, in, in what I was about to say. 
he doesn't. He seems very uh, indifferent to the fact that he's wrestling for the tag titles on this show. Yeah. Uh, also, I don't ever remember Jigsaw having the mask on. In in at least in this time frame with the Vulture Squad, but because we've talked about the the mask coming off promo. Yeah, because it's on the video wire that's attached to Double Feature, available in the archives. Yes. Because it comes off as a direct result of this night. Yes. Yeah. Um, I was thinking that was maybe earlier on in the, t- the timeline of the Vulture Squad <laughs> formation, but it was not. Um, yeah. But we go from the Kaka land of the Vulture Squad... Uh, maybe the bird's nest, if you will, of the Vulture Squad, uh, to ringside. And we kick off the show with an interesting choice for an opener, but I think it was the right choice if it was given time. Um, I do love a good comedy wrestling match. Uh, Delirious taking on Human Tornado for 90 seconds. Hey, they crammed a lot in that 90 seconds. They sure uh, so. I was a- I was able to take multiple notes in that 90 seconds about Human Tornado because I was, yeah, they have a dance party, so it's not like I'm sitting here having to watch uh, move for move and do stuff. So I was like, yeah, let me see what's up with Tornado's uh, history around this time frame and cage match. So I was just like, well, where else was he at in the, the East Coast area before? Before, <clears throat> Excuse me. That was my coffee. Let it out. I want coffee. Mm. And like, he's mad over immediately. There's no doubt that the fans here are uh, quite excited to see Human Tornado. And they're super into the dance party that happens. Mm-hmm. And I gotta figure some of these fans had to have seen him in person because he'd worked in Jersey All Pro by this point. He'd worked in CZW. He'd worked in Liberty States um, LSW up in the Massachusetts area. Um, he'd done this, he, he, the week before this he actually worked the Super Indy for IWC. Uh, it's expensive flight to put somebody out in the first round <laughs> but Ooh. he lost to Matt Cross he lost to Matt Cross in the first round of the tournament um, and he was coming in here just fresh off his very his one and only tour of Dragon Gate oh wow yeah and that had ended uh, like a week or so before the um, the Super Indie show so I was like oh that's pretty cool didn't know he I didn't realize he only went over there one time but He's slowly phased out of wrestling, phases himself out of wrestling uh, in 2008. That well, he, becomes he would more go, and more sporadic. He blew his knee out shortly after this in a, a match. Well, so he ends up in March. It just becomes less. He, he still wrestles through the year. But it becomes less and less, and there's a couple of month long, month or two long gaps. But I mean, he, he, and then it just kind of is the case going forward until he's just he has a death, a, a death. The match on cage match just says death. 
His last match is listed as death. Not a death match, just death. That was a stipulation, I suppose. But yeah, hmm. he's he's not he's not consistent. So would he be king of the like, death match? I guess king of yeah, two words. But yeah, that was that was a uh, that was a sort of human tornado. So two thousand six. 2008. That too. Yeah, that's the year we're in. <laughs> Hello. Sixth anniversary. Sixth anniversary. 2008. Yes. Um, but I just thought like the the music playing over the dance contest, Tornado doing his spot with the kicks. Um, I I could have gotten like a vibe of him doing matches where his music plays the whole time. Like a New Jack style type of thing. And fans being really into it. Oh god, I would have hated that. It's a catchy song. It's got elements of, okay, we know what he's going to go out and do, but we don't need to make him wrestle a 20-minute match. He's there to kind of be like a like an appetizer almost. An so like expensive a, appetizer. I understand that he is a flight from the West Coast. Um, but if you're if you're getting the value out of him, yeah, you know it's certainly. I hate to say it, but like you're flying Albright from Oklahoma. You're flying Aries out from Minnesota. Aries was not was he in, in Philly at Minnesota this point? in 2008. I don't know where he was. He was not in Philly anymore. I don't know if he was down in Florida at this point. I don't remember. May have been down in Florida at this point. I'm not sure. I'm pretty confident he was not uh, in Minnesota. Um, but Aries was the main event guy who had value. Um and it was proven. Um, I don't know. It's a tough. That's a tough one for the tornado hoping. But I think I, I, you know, I get the. You can easily watch and see that Gabe has some value. Find some value in him because he's putting him in there with his baby. Like the the age of the fall is you know the the, the fruit of him and Jimmy's loins. Uh, for the last year, uh, not year, but half a year, um, he's getting wrapped up with them. He's getting wrapped up with 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 Lacey. Like he's he's being put in a prime position uh, for his couple appearances here before he disappears for two years from Ring of Honor. Yeah, I just I think there was more meat on the bone for him to be had if he was more consistent and around a little bit longer. Um, yeah. I, I always look at it like, you know, somebody new comes into the Ring of Honor universe if they have that upward mobility to them. Like, that's how I'm going to make a determination as to whether or not I'm going to even begin to invest in them. Can I envision this person headlining final battle? And for me personally, I've talked about it on this show, I think Tornado could have gotten there. Um, uh, their circumstances play into that, but 
I think the character, the promo skills, the just insane charisma. Um, I think that that could have been a talent to invest in long term, but it was not meant to be. Nope. Nope. So mm-hmm. Age of the Fire comes out uh, about 90 seconds into this match. Dance party. Yeah, into the into the dance 92nd dance party. That featured kicks. Rhythmic kicks. Um it's uh, Jimmy Jacobs, Tyler Black, Lacey, and Zach Gowan. Uh, they attacked Tornado immediately. Uh, of course, this is based on comments he made at Eye of the Storm about Lacey. And uh, we talked about that in the, the Eye of the Storm episode. Um, Daisy Hayes runs out because... Well, <laughs> Lacey's <laughs> out there, so... If Lacey's in the building, yep. Uh, but there is the, the connection with Delirious as well. Um, this was kind of the start of that story. Mm, a little bit, yeah. I mean, a little bit. Because you figure there's this show, and then... Oh, and then and when we, when the next show is, is when the, the rat stuff starts, but the Age of the Fall, Delirious pursuit yeah i, I was re- a little bit. strictly referring to daisy and delirious um oh, oh okay what would come gotcha. at a new level available in the archives um that would also feature uh, rhett making his main show debut but interestingly enough uh tornado and Hayes they kind of team up they fight off age of the fall uh, and we get a match made of Delirious and the Human Tornado taking on Jimmy Jacobs and Tyler Black. You never know what combination of the Age of the Fall it could be. But Bobby Cruz clarifies The grand us. old wrestling tradition of a singles match just becomes a tag match because <laughs> wrestling. Yeah, and it's the referees making the match. We couldn't even get like a Teddy Long cameo. It's a tag team match. Well, player. an Undertaker would have counted. <laughs> No, he doesn't have to. He's just the meme. He pretty much does have to. Either the Undertaker comes out or it's getting made into a tag match, right? You're, no, but you're going to go one-on-one with the Undertaker. Mm-hmm. I, well, Carrie was ringside, so maybe Carrie gave him the Iggy to uh, be a tag match. Carrie should have just gotten on the mic. It's going to be a tag team match. Yeah. You guys want to learn to play craps? He did not do that. Tell people how to play craps. Yeah, but he did. Wasn't getting on the mic and cutting promos. No, no, he was the the promoter that stayed behind the scenes. Um, but I think on a, a special. I love case, that you say that when he's a pivotal part of the main event. You're like the guy was behind the scenes, except he's a determining part. factor in the main event. It's true. <laughs> But grand scheme of things, he wasn't interrupting meaningless opening matches. No, no, no. He was there when the moment was necessity. Yes. A necessity to have. Yes. So honey, that shit. Yes. Yes, he did. Um, so this starts out pretty fun. Uh, I thought Human Tornado and Tyler Black were a really good, like, combination of the four guys in this match 
I meant to look and see if they had any uh, Wrestling Society X interaction during that brief, uh, briefly lived promotion. They may have had some in IWA, too, because uh, Tornado was in a couple times for, for Ian. But I really liked... They couldn't dance together. What did you it, call Tyler's the dance? I hate, my, I hate my parents' dance. Yeah, the I hate my parents' dance and the uh, rhythmic kicking of balls. Yeah, well, it would have been great. Yeah, that was one thing that never made its way to Ring of Honor: the iron balls. I think he may have been told just no, <laughs> do not do the iron testicles here. Yeah, tornado. I'm referring to not not Tyler Black. <laughs> I was gonna say I've never seen Tyler Black use, utilize that maneuver. Yes, um, but uh, I I think it's interesting though the the way this match was paired off more than anything. It only goes like nine minutes and fifty five seconds, but a lot of this match it's slow with Jimmy and and Delirious and they're fighting. It's more. Um, more violent and vicious where you got more of the athletic side of the wrestlings with Tornado and Tyler. And I thought that was a good way to showcase the characters that were involved while giving the fans something exciting to see. Um, Especially when you've deprived them of a comedy match to start the show. And this is a show too with no no hero, no Claudio, no Briscoes because all four of them are in Noah. Yep. As well, so I I think an interesting thing out of it uh, that those four pretty, especially with the Briscoes cr- at the time, crucial parts of the uh, the picture were not there. Yeah, it, it seems weird, like to think that no Briscoes. At an anniversary show, but they were not at the third anniversary trios of shows. They returned at the fourth anniversary show. Mm-hmm. So you know you're getting another. You they were at the fifth year festival. They were around for the fourth year anniversary. But yeah, it's not. We're not talking like they. Yeah, they didn't miss a ton of them, but it was just no, a, an example of uh, an oddity. You know, that we we there the the some of the people that were missing from the show, and we still have uh, a pretty you know loaded up show. This felt like a New York City show. Yeah. Um, again, I mean, the glut of talent from 05 to 08 was absurd. Indeed. Uh. So the finish would come in 9 minutes, 53 seconds. Delirious hits a panic attack, and uh, Tornado goes low on Jimmy Jacobs. Tyler Black uh, blocks the Cobra stretch, and then he drop kicks Delirious off the top rope as he's setting up for Shadows over Hell. Jimmy Jacobs comes in out of nowhere with the end time as he locks on to Human Tornado, and... Tornado taps at 9 minutes and 53 seconds. Um, there were a lot of reactions in this match to Human Tornado. And I think that's the story that I'm going to take away from this match. 
uh, is that Tornado got such a, a really resoundingly strong reaction. Ate the, ate the pinfall, ate the submission. Um, but didn't it didn't matter. Like, he was the one that had to because he wasn't going to be here. Yeah, I, I don't know at what point it was known that this was only a, 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 the end of it, that it wasn't going to last if it was something that was already known going into this or, you know, if, if you thought that it would be a long-term Daddy. thing. Good night, bud. This, Love this you. It's a run-in. I brought new jammies. These are my jammies. Good night, bud. <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it, it, it is if you, you just gauge it simply on the crowd investment in a, the, the two shows he's there. There was definitely a desire for more, just, you yeah. know. Was not didn't 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 get it for another two years, and even then it was only uh, yeah. one shot deal. No, he came back two? for SoCal Showdown, and then mm-hmm. he was back for oh, and the Phoenix. Phoenix. Yes, Phoenix. and then I think there might be one more show after that, but I'm not certain. At the at the, at the at very least, it was SoCal Showdown. Uh, and then the two Phoenix shows. Yeah. With a very bad pairing in the Tavari match. Is that the one we covered? Yes. Phoenix Rising? From the Ashes. Or Phoenix Rising? Yeah. We've covered both. Don't vote for them. Not true. Um, it's, It's true. It's real news. Nothing but the facts here. Uh, but it's it's interesting, too, because now Age of the Fall, you know, they've got a win under their belts. Um, and we've got Jacobs and Tyler kind of angling their way toward, you know. A Getting them belts back. Run with the straps again. Um, up next, Nigel McGinnis is out. And I remember, like, when his music hit, it was kind of surprising. What? Nigel coming out this early in the show. Um, I, I thought you were referring to the... I assumed you were referring to the very negative crowd response. Oh, no, that wasn't not a surprise. Uh, but we'll talk about why that response came uh, during Because this, New York City thinks Nigel is a pussy. And they want him to shut the fuck up. And they have no problem letting him know that fact very loudly. Mind you, he is a babyface champion at this point. Mm. For the most part, like, he beat Hero, heel. He yeah. beat Roddy, no. heel. Yeah, he's, you know, you're right. You're right. This is the... It's part of what makes this night and this main event so special Mm -hmm. and why I hold it so high in such high regards. Yeah, and and that's going to be something we we talk about because I have a I have a revelation regarding the main event that I'll make later on. Uh, But Nigel is out here and it just I don't know, like him coming out early kind of felt like 
something was going to happen or change or I don't I, I, I think we were so traumatized by what WWE was doing with their bait and switches that it was like oh the champion's out is he going to be hurt again um, obviously I wasn't one of the people that booed and you know heckled him for getting hurt and you know taking a seat for a show but still like the bulk of this audience is on Nigel's ass from the get-go. And uh, I would say it was probably, you know, 85% of the audience. Um, uh, yeah, it, it was it was definitely the loud, the, the loudest uh, parts of the... They, obscenely vocal. Yeah. The loudest parts of the audience are very much anti-Nigel. So and he responded in kind. Oh yeah, Nigel is is a gem here. Uh, he said that the last time he was in New York City, the fans wanted him to drop the title because he was hurt, because of his match against Austin Aries. He had a concussion. Um, I believe it came on the low pay into the guardrail. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Aries Aries does his missile dive to Nigel's back. Nigel goes headfirst into the into the guardrail, and no one's home for the rest of the match. And it's a fucking amazing match. Yeah, it, it's one of those like, how did this happen? Yeah, muscle memory is a beautiful thing. Type matches, um, but there was a spot before that too where I thought maybe he. He had gotten hit with an elbow uh, that maybe knocked him a little loose, and then into the guardrail was, you know, definitely um, the the uh, the concussion spot. But he says Nigel uh, says that he's in great condition, he's in great shape, he's ready to go tonight, except for his head, and that's due to the concussions. He's worried about that because his ten- his opponent this evening. Clam Digger Danielson, uh, the American Dragon Brian Danielson, uh, he wrestles a very vicious style. He does the elbows to the head. He kicks hard. And, of course, this gets the crowd going. You're going to get your fucking head kicked in. Uh, And that was really, really loud. Uh, That may have been the loudest fans got until the actual match starts, but... Nigel says that they have a pay-per-view match in a month, and if Danielson injures him tonight, there will be no headliner. Fans just frothing at the mouth, uh, you know, just pure rage and, and, and anger inside of them uh, coming out as they're they're screaming at Nigel. Uh and, and Nigel thinks that the fans don't care. He he doesn't care if they, if or that they don't yeah. care if he becomes a vegetable. No, Nigel doesn't think it. He flat out says, "Do you even care about my health?" And the crowd yells back, "No!" It's not a question of he thinks. They state they do not care about his health when asked. 
there's no question here. I, I hope they're just playing along. And, well, and that's what's... They're clearly not. You were on the message board. You saw how people responded. They gave zero fucks about Nigel's health. They just wanted to be entertained. Somebody... Uh, it, that's... So that's what makes the Brent Albright joke of him pounding on the table saying, somebody make me laugh, all that much more ridiculous. And he is demanding entertainment from fans. But Nigel, nobody gave a shit. Well, and that's what makes this promo work so wonderfully is that is entirely based on a reality it is entirely pulled from something that actually happened from how fans responded and how it made nigel feel this will come from a very real place it's and you can feel it, it there's no need to fake a storyline for this one it is entirely legit so there's a couple things on top of that too like it's always been brian danielson and nigel mcginnis now the shoe is on the other foot it's now nigel mcginnis and brian danielson for the ring of honor title so with nigel's last time in new york not going so well he's got something to prove He's pissed off, and I think it was Mike Tyson who said he was pissed off for greatness. And it, it, both guys have different reasons to be incredibly passionate about this match. And I, I just think it, it, it leads to this beautiful thing. But we'll talk about the match later. Uh, Brian comes out. And he talks about how important the title is to not only him, but to the wrestling business itself. And he says that uh, he's going to go on and make sure the match happens. And to do so, he promises not to hit Nigel in the head because he has millions of ways to beat Nigel McGuinness and his record proves it. So, as it it has been in the times that they've wrestled before. They've never had the same match twice. No, they all play off each other. And now we're going into the match, of the main event of the sixth anniversary show. Some wrestling promotions don't last six shows. This company is celebrating its sixth anniversary. And you're going with these two as the main event match. But now, Nigel is the champion. And Brian is coming from underneath. It is an amazing twist on the story. And you're going into it. Nigel's never beaten Brian in the ring in a one-on-one match. He only has the count-out victory from Weekend of Champions over him. Uh, Yeah, he's so... Brian has dominated Nigel when they've had singles matches so the fans now I think looking back my thoughts live were okay a talking segment and then a sports entertainment style open 
interesting. Uh, but looking back on it now, I would have preferred to go with the singles match and then maybe do a beatdown angle with Tornado and Delirious afterwards for Age of the Fall. But I also felt like at the time going right to a talking segment didn't do much for me. But now what? looking back, I have a greater appreciation for the organizational structure of this show. It's, it's set your table. It's set the table for the main event. It's 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 what the you know, you know it has now become such a staple of the product that it you know, every single raw feels like it opens with a ten to fifteen minute talking segment. But when that started as the norm, it was because it would it set the table for the rest of the night. Like, this is us telling you, talking to you about what's going to happen through the course of this night. And that's what this was. It was setting the table for the main event and putting it out there, the the no, the no agreeing to no headshots. You know, Brian hyping up the crowd in response to Nigel's, you know, shitting on the crowd and the crowd shitting on him. And further, you know, cheerleading the Ring of Honor world title. And I, I appreciated that he got a shot in there at Nigel that is not not uh, historically accurate, but it still popped the crowd. He says, "I'm going to finally get you to get you to defend that belt finally in this building." It's like, yeah, like he's just ignoring the Aries match that happened last time and pretend that Nigel's never defended the belt in New York. <laughs> And he, he missed glory, but he wasn't able. He missed the glory by honor Masawa show, and then the night after uh, Rising Above Final Battle 07. So he missed two out of three shows, but he did defend it against Aries in New York. That's true. That's true. I mean, it hadn't aired on pay per view yet, but you know, Rising Above 2007 that aired in March of 2008. Available in the archives. Yes. Maybe. Yeah. I know we did one of those odd Rising Above shows. Yes. Um, but a really good promo. So much passion from these two guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes you really, you know, look at the idea of having a crowd and just going, wow, those were yeah. the days. Yeah. Yeah. A year ago. Yeah. <laughs> As we're taping this on February 11th, it's mm-hmm. 11 months ago. But yeah, just watch his promo back on me like, yeah, fuck yeah, let's go, let's go. It's the scene in Animal House where Belushi is giving the pep talk to Delta Tau <laughs> that, was that a Was that a purposeful uh, segue right there? <laughs> or was there? Did you just stumble? This on that is one? this is not John Belushi that was chanted. They're chanting Jim Belushi. I know, but regardless, you just said Belushi. I'm just wondering if that was an intentional uh, segue. No, you just stumbled in that. Maybe a like a just unintentional intentional. That was good. Nah, well done. Bravo. You get a golf clap for that. I, I didn't. Pre-plan it if yeah, that makes good. sense. I just kind of just yeah, exactly. Just happened upon it. It's good spot. stuff. Bravo. Well, it's Brent Albright, managed by Shane Hagedorn, that treacherous, evil, cheating manager of the Hangman Three, featuring Shane Hagedorn versus El Generico. Got your name in there like three times. Mm-hmm. One sentence. Pretty good. Um, <sighs> how do I approach this with Albright? He looks completely ridiculous. 
What do you mean? He's not wearing the singlet. No, that was a different time. He looked yeah, ridiculous. I'm that. So, why does he look ridiculous here? The sideburns. The they were like they were they early race esque. Yeah, and it was just like what he like. So here's the thing. So and I I think I've referenced this a couple times on the show. Albright and I got along pretty well when I would you know socialize with him after shows and there was one point where we both walked in with this like weird shave of our beards and we looked exactly the same so I looked like yeah yeah, I'm sure exactly the same the the beard was exactly the same Um, and you know our hair was a similar length it was thinning in certain areas uh, in, in my case, it's still thinning. Um, you were both faux hawked at the time? No, it was like when his hair was kind of a little longer. Oh, gotcha. Um, I guess it would have been like 07. And then we... Uh, but we had like the same beard. So I look like a mini-me. Like a fat mini-me next to Albright. Okay. And Pierce was like, you two have the same beard, same haircut. You both look ridiculous. And uh, this had, like, two straight shows, we had changed our beards the exact same way and had no communications about it. So we decide that we're going to have the whatever the next show I was going to, we're going to see who shows up with the more ridiculous beard. And I don't remember what show it was. It may have been Final Battle weekend that the the third weekend of that beard contest took place. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, but needless to say, Albright definitely, you know, outweirded me with his facial hair combinations. He's a, a very creative facial shaver. Uh, but he's got big mutton chops. So the crowd is chanting Jim Belushi. Um, they should have been going for John Belushi because they then switch it up to Toga, Toga, Toga. Going after the scene from Animal House, the greatest movie of all time. And... Uh, don't roll your eyes at me. It's a good movie. Greatest movie of all time. I wanted to be Bluto so bad. <laughs> your college career shows. Yes, it does. I was close. Uh, but, like, the crowd is really into heckling Albright. And maybe the ridiculous facial hair, looking back at, at least at this match, the ridiculous facial hair over that period of time prior to this was done just to get some sort of heel reaction. No. Because I doubt it. I highly doubt there's that He wasn't getting... I put that much thought into my dumb haircuts and facial hair, but I <laughs> doubt he did. I mean... I think this crowd was... This was a very interesting crowd. Um, I don't know if they decided to pregame this event... Uh, collectively because they're very loud and 
uh, a little bit of obnoxious and not a fun way a at times bit. in their chants. Uh, a little bit of uh, look at me in some of their interaction, oh, right. but it's, at least they're loud and vocal. I'd rather have that than <laughs> crickets and silence. And in the midst of their Belushi and Bluto chants, um, they got a hell of a match between these two. Yeah, I I really like this a lot more than I expected going in. Same. And to be honest, like I think in all the, the Albright matches that we've watched back for this show, I've kind of gotten a, a, a bit more of an appreciation for his in-ring work at times that lapsed for a while. Because I enjoyed uh, it. I, th- I, I think I think Albright worked. I think Albright was still working hard until I don't know about ten months from this point. You know, towards the end of '08, it started uh, dipping out because you know possibly maybe thought uh, he'd have an easy go of it um, with a booking change. But yeah, the the earlier the, he had good matches, strong matches is just that ladder stuff. And, um, as a person, (laughs) not so much. And I thought this was, this was a perfect meshing of, of styles, like taking how the Jericho is a wrestler and excuse me, and all braid strengths. It was a perfect, perfect way, perfect mashup. So you have like all dominate, basically the entire match and then you have these hope spots for generico firing up for these short comebacks and the crowd is here for everything yeah uh there's a really awesome like snaps uh snap power slam that albright hits and generico counters a, a suplex with the sunset flip uh bomb for a two count uh i thought that was pretty cool um there's there's like an anger in Albright too in this match that sometimes he just pretended to have or it felt like he was pretending to have. Yes, it felt the that the emotion the emotional context uh, was absent or forced. Yes, but it, it felt more authentic here in this yeah. match, mm-hmm. and I just thought like the way Generico would sell for him was just it made him look like this monster. What's weird is that when you say that, I think that came more it came more naturally for him to emote as a baby face, which is hilarious. I know, right? But when I think about when I think about his match, his his history in Ring of Honor, I feel he emoted better when he was in the babyface role. Absolutely. And he did, you know, when he was trying to get more Shima or when it was opposite Pierce um, with, with the NWA title matches. I feel like there was more life and more just that extra thing uh, when he was the babyface, which, yeah. I, I would completely agree. He's got babyface music. Even his big, dumb, goofy bullshit with Cabana had more personality uh, than he would show a lot of the times during the Hangman 3 era. Like when, it's, it's duct- almost like when he duct taped the microphone to his stomach. Yes, exactly. Uh, I, I think Albright was another one of those guys that could have had upward mobility, but just... 
hit a wall was complacent or hit a wall. I I said, I yeah, right. Like Uh, he he drove himself into a wall. Yeah. Um, I but I do I I I think this is one of those matches that jumped off the page when I looked at the card and I thought, nah, yeah, and then left the match going wow that was pretty fucking awesome yeah it was very very enjoyable and i'm really glad i skidded down that hill four times (laughs) and i always really liked the knee strike finish uh for all right i thought it fit and it uh yeah i just i don't know i always liked that that i I enjoyed that finish it was you know his his version of brian's elbows um, but it, it fit him well, and I think I want to talk about this from the Generico standpoint, too. He works so well with guys that are bigger than him because it allows him to execute his biggest strength when he is a babyface character. And that is selling with his eyes and his body. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I had a conversation the other day with an independent wrestler uh, that... Uh, some people would know from like GCW and AIW, but I'll, I'll leave his name out of it because he's still pretty young and trying to go places. He was asking, you know, th- he, he's looking once indie shows start running again and the weather's a little warmer. He was trying to come come back with like a fresh look, uh, a fresh personality. He had been trying the heel thing that wasn't really going uh, his way because he's more of a flashy wrestler and I said the one guy you need to watch is like 2007 through 2009 El Generico because he sells with every part of his body and the fans connected to it and it's not something you can copy and just you know insert it into a box it's not going to work for everybody but if you really really study it there's little things he does that work their way into the the minds and the hearts of the people that bought tickets. Yes, absolutely. Um, but I love the finish of this match. We talked about it. And then I'm going to read you a quote from one of the reviews that I saw. Yeah. Uh, because it's probably the funniest quote that I have read in quite some time on one of these reviews. Uh, so the, the Yakuza kick from Generico sets up the brainbuster attempt. Albright counters that with the half Nelson. Uh, he hits uh, the knees to the face on Generico. I don't think they had a name. No, just, no, it was just he had that. He would have the the hammerlock and yep, knee the fuck out of your face. But it, it was also good because he would. This is a smart, you know, thing to to pay attention to is movement. Now, he's not standing in one place hitting the knees. He's moving around the ring, and he has Generico's one arm is behind his back, so you can see the impact in the the selling body language of Generico as well, and he's showing the crowd as he's doing it. It's not just standing in one place delivering the knees. It's kind of movement, so people can see. So I'm going to throw out this suggestion for a name. Hypothetically, if somebody wanted to steal this finish, the knee peak. 
Hey, good lord. No. And everybody on your three-hour gauntlet match can finish with a knee peed. It's repeated knees to the face. It's a knee peed. Lord. I thought it was good. So here, here's this quote. This is from J.D. Dunn from 411 Wrestling. He says, quote, There's nothing really wrong with the match except for the fact that generic wrestler is a gimmick for one guy and a lifestyle for the other. <laughs> <laughs> that is good that yeah is that good. it's good journalism but right i there. mean it kind of does play into what we were saying about albright and his emoting and mm-hmm. having more life as a as a baby face than as the heel henchman he was here yeah and even when he was doing like the gun for hire stuff where he was just basically a hitman for whoever yeah like, at least that gave him a story to play off of. Yeah. And because, you know, he's wanted to collect the money for winning the match and hurting the person. Well, and I think some of that gets into the bigger picture of what the fuck was the Hangman 3? A cult. But we, we there was no... I mean, that's essentially what it kind of was. You know, Pierce being given the... Kevin Sullivan-ish role, how he talked, which he talks like that as a GM now, which is kind of funny. Hi, Adam. The role he has now. Uh, but as far as communicating to fans and consistency, it just it wasn't there. You know, Ab Pierce had a real-life job beyond pro wrestling, so he was not always there. Now the BJ thing is ending that part of it. Um, it just it never blossomed into anything more than just here's Pierce who can talk really well, and the two guys are were following him and his manservant Lackey. See, and I, I there think- wasn't a reason for them existing. No, and that's where the story from Long Island comes into play with you taking the Sweeney business card for Pierce. It's it's the the doomsday scenario for the Hangman 3 featuring Shane Aguilar. And it plays into our very next segment. Oh, boy. It's the Larry Sweeney Show starring Larry Sweeney. The second and final episode of the Larry Sweeney Show starring Larry Sweeney. being final. Uh, Bobby Dempsey is with Larry Sweeney and our guest this evening is Allison Danger. Pelly Primo needs your help. As a lot of you may know, friend of the show Pelly Primo shared his story as part of the speaking out movement last summer. Now, Pelly is facing a legal battle because of sharing his story. Help out Pelly by donating to his defense fund at GoFundMe.com slash FightPellyFight. That's GoFundMe.com slash Fight, P-E-L-L-E, Fight. And if you donate and show us at an honorable mention that you have donated to Pelly's defense fund, we have some perks for you. If you donate $50 or more, you get a year of ad-free access to an honorable mention, plus two DVDs, 
from Jeff's DVD collection. If you donate $100 or more, you'll get ad-free access to the show for a year and two DVD sets from Jeff's personal collection. Help out our friend Pelly at GoFundMe.com slash Fight Pelly Fight. I'm going to just stop right there, and I'm going to say we've mentioned Larry Sweeney, we've mentioned Bobby Dempsey, and now we have mentioned Allison Danger. I think anybody that followed Ring of Honor follows Ring of Honor's history. They hear those three names in one sentence. They know exactly the segment we are about to talk about. Yes. And for those of you who don't, woo, this segment was was uh, entirely problematic for 13 years ago. Wait, 13? Yeah, 13. I did math. So if it was problematic 13 years ago, it ages even worse, and they cut out one of the worst parts of it. Yeah, uh, there's this was chopped down a little significantly. It, it was chopped down significantly from, I don't know about significantly, but it was trimmed like, to be a little less offensive. Four or five minutes less? No, 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 I, no, no. See, no, I think it's just one of those segments like, that feels like it went on forever. I mean, maybe it did. You know, I'd have to, you know, somebody at Sinclair go track down the, the raw footage and see how long this is originally. But I don't think it's that much longer in terms of the promo content. I think it's more just trimming out some of the more uh, fucked up stuff that Sweeney does to Bobby in danger. Yeah. Um... I mean, when your opening is, you were a slut of monumental proportions. Yeah. And that, that yeah, that, that's how Sweeney opens and basically just goes in on danger the entire time about she slept her way to the top. She had sex with everybody in the locker room. I hope she brought her knee pads not to wrestle, but because there's a whole bunch of new faces in the locker room since the last time you were here. Stuff like that. Uh, and there's no comeuppance. And there never will be. And I think this is the part of it that makes it it's it, it's bad enough. But in the the fact that there's no nothing, there's no redemption, there's no danger kicks him in the dick or slaps him across the face or you know takes the takes the 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 L for lack of that's just the first that dropped in my head. But she's the you know she ends up on the bad end of this and here, but comes back to get her revenge at a later points. Like none of that. She literally just gets called a whore, hit in the head by Sweeney, and then violated by Bobby Dempsey, and then the segment ends. Mm-hmm. That is correct. And the crowd is cheering for it. Except for me, who you can see at one point sitting down, looking at my phone. Yeah, and pretty much anybody in the office, I think, going like, oh, is that what you intended, Gabe? Is that what you wanted? Is that what you is that what it was supposed to how it was supposed to go? Was Sweeney supposed to be pushing on this is part of what you don't see. 
So, <clears throat> as I said, Sweetie knocks out Danger and then proceeds to yell at Bobby, this is your chance. Look at her. She can't fight back. She's vulnerable. You're, you're never... These are actual words that are said. He's screaming, do it! Do, do it. it! And Bobby won't. Um, in the typical way too... Way too, like, small selling that Bobby would do at this point. Uh, his selling for things when he's being berated was very small. Um, it works on camera, not necessarily if you're up in the cheap seats. Uh, I think he just definitely called for a much bigger, like, no, no, I'm not doing this. And then Sweeney just pushes him. He doesn't, like, knock Bob out. Like he did danger. He just kind of pushes Bobby down. Bobby falls on top of her and lays there. And Sweeney just kind of like is pushing on his butt a little bit. Yeah. But then there's a part that we don't see where he's like much more aggressively standing on Bobby's, like pushing his foot on Bobby's butt. Like, get in there, I think are the words that actually get said while he's doing it. Um, yeah, this is just very bad segment. Uh, it's not it's not even bad. I think it, it I think bad is not a fair word to use. This is a, just offensive. Yes, it gets low yes. brow, uh, demeaning. Uh, like I watched this back and I just. Uh, Even for 2008, this is fucked up. Like, I, so, uh, yeah. Like, I, I, I remember it live thinking, like, Jesus Christ, what is Gabe thinking with this? Yeah. Or maybe this went awry somewhere in the middle and there was no, no, button to eject i don't know i i i would love to to talk to bobby dempsey about this segment uh and at least get his version of the events because he's probably the only one we have any bit of access to but i mean god damn like i had to walk away from my tv after this was over because I just kept thinking to myself like I remember it being bad now I'm seeing this back on DVD now we've got to talk about this we have one person who's passed away we have another person who is now a a wife and a mother and we have Bobby is the third person living his life uh, you know working a regular job and and you know, being a, a citizen of planet Earth. And then you look at it from the wrestling perspective of what what is this supposed to do? How does this it sell tickets? It does. Or DVDs. It does. And it's just, uh, I don't know, a further reason to hate Sweeney, I suppose, um, as if that was needed. <laughs> he didn't need anything of this nature to... Uh, to generate uh, heel heat. 
the only thing that comes out of this that's remotely productive is his announcement that Sweet and Sour will be launching a hostile takeover of Ring of Honor. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's how it ends uh, on DVD. But yeah, it's just, I don't know. I don't know. I I feel like this is one of those segments that it happens. And when you get to the, it happens, all right, it happens live. We've done that. We did this with Unforgettable for a match that was bad and mm-hmm. a promo from Lacey that was bad, where we just erased it from history and did a backstage segment for it. And this is a segment that I feel like in hindsight that night should have been more an intermission. Been like, can we just film the hostile takeover thing as a backstage promo now? Because that ain't making the DVD. No, I just I it's the to me, it may be the most lowbrow thing during Carrie's time as owner of the company. I, I just, it, it's so offensive, so demeaning, so unnecessary. And I'm trying I to think of, I'm trying to think of other things. Uh, I mean, this is probably the worst in front of the audiences that I can think of. Backstage, I mean, we had Special K leave Becky Bayless with Raven uh, just to pop anybody who read the sleaze thread on DVD-R. Um, I guess that's what that was. Uh, special K spiking Alexis Lurie's drinks. Um Jimmy Jacobs murdered Lacey. <laughs> the prophecy murdered uh, multiple murdered, people. Well, Lucy and what I was going to say. Uh, I, and yeah, Lacey wasn't I mean, like, murdered. This is, she came back to save yes, Maker but, you know, BJ. She was it was left to pre- left presumed dead with no other implications in any way, shape, or form. Um, it's just, it's, I don't know. It, it is by far the most. Yeah, it is. It is. And the it, verbiage that was used, you know, referring to her as a slut, and the knee pads, and telling Bobby to take advantage of the unconscious woman. Yeah, like it's just. I don't know. I. There's nothing entertaining here. This is not like as entertaining as fuck to the live audience who was all in, who was all in on on uh, on uh, on rape. The, simu- the simulated rape. Yes. I. I just I don't know. I I don't know what the logic was. This was so offensive, and it's just so so stupid. Should have been cut. I I try very hard on this show not to to say something is stupid or bad. I, I'd like to think of this time period as kind of a highlight in my life, but this is stupid and offensive and should have never seen the light of day. Correct. And 
if I was Gabe, I'd have walked out in the middle of this fucking thing and just said, nope, wrap this shit up. Let's fucking go. And then I'd have sent Kevin Steen out to go do the next match. Yeah. Because that was fucking embarrassing. That, that Literally, that's all I can say. Yeah. And should that shit and should have been left on the editing room floor in Florida. And then you and destroy the tape. And, and replaced with a backstage promo of Sweeney, like, having some press conference or some bullshit to announce his hostile takeover. Yeah. Uh, it's just... Mm. Ugh, God. Uh, up next, speaking of nonsense, it's Kevin Steen and Joey Matthews, one-on-one. What's the nonsense, Joey? Yeah. And, and you said speaking of nonsense, so I assumed you were going to refer to something in this match as nonsense. Uh, well, there is some stuff that didn't make a lot of sense to me in this match. I just didn't like it. Um, I think they did some good stuff. Uh, I liked the match at double feature that they had better. I want to say it was double feature feature night two. Sure. I, I remember Joey wrestled jig. I don't remember when the, if that was when the Kevin rematch. Well, it might have been. I don't know. I, we watched that show two years ago. I don't remember yeah. right now. It's in the archives. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I just, I felt like there was something in the story of this match where it just felt very slow, very mundane, um, very, very flat. Like, you didn't get that normal, like, wild and crazy Kevin Especially, like, the night before, he was, you know, he just won this uh, tournament, and, you know, he just didn't come out with that energy mm-hmm. that he typically had. Um, I did I did like the end of the match. Um, I thought it was a good sequence, but I don't know. I just... Um, there's also a moment in this match, uh, and I don't remember who the fan was. He was a regular uh, who did probably the second most offensive thing on this show that would have been number one most offensive at any other show uh, during this match toward Joey Matthews. Um, he's Joey's coming out. Joey gets in the ring. They start the match. Uh, Joey's kind of controlling things. Uh, He does, like, uh, this neck breaker. Uh, Then he goes to the chin lock. The crowd's booing. And uh, Kevin hits the powerbomb, the pump handle cradle breaker. Uh, I think there was a two count maybe after that. Uh, Joey blocks the package power driver. And all of a sudden, there's a fan behind me, and he's singing the lyrics to Amy Winehouse's trying to make me go to rehab, and I say, no, no, no. That, he's like screaming it at Joey. Not appropriate. Huh. 
did not notice this. Was this on? Did you? Is it just something you remember? Did it pick up on cam on camera at all? I thought at one point it got picked up on camera. Mm. Just like vocal, like you could verbally hear it. Yeah, but I mean, it's not long that you you catch it, but it rekindled my memory mm-hmm. of it happening because it was the guy in the second row directly in the seat behind me. Gotcha. So and he stood up to do it. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I it, he was a regular like New York City going fan. I'd see him at pretty much every ROH show. Um, but I just like that's totally inappropriate. Um, but I, as far as the match goes, I mean, are you? Did you see the same match that I did? Uh, so I think it's a very, it's a fundamentally sound match. It's a perfectly acceptable wrestling. It's. Uh, structured really well in terms of you know the, the heat shines comeback selling, uh, but I would agree it's not the most um, thrill. It's not a it's not a thrill ride. No, uh, it's not. It's not a crazy exciting like holy shit, holy shit match. But it is is fundamentally sound and matches you're gonna find uh but that's what joey's well really well good at yeah and well well constructed in it and it is and there's some really cool stuff that's done like joey selling his leg and then he does you know he uses the tried and true knees to block the swanton but he sells his legs far more than most people ever would Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, he continues to sell it beyond just that moment, and it just—it was a—I thought it was just a good way to have a basic, solid wrestling match that solid follow-up to Kevin winning the tournament, and kept the age of the fall tie into Kevin. You know, it wasn't the strong; it wasn't super strong part of Kevin yet. Kevin and Generico's story, but that's you know that we know that is coming in a in a yep. couple months with the up for grabs tournament and going forward into eventually later in the year when they win the belt. So there's that tie in as well. Uh, it's not groundbreaking. It's not game changing. No one's going to really leave this match and tag five plus stars on it, but. It's a no. perfectly solid wrestling match. It, it felt like just a professional wrestling match that you would see on a, you know, television show. Like it was, mm-hmm. you know, two named guys having a main event match on Raw in 1993 or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't think that they went out of their way to have a quote unquote Ring of Honor style match. And yeah, they don't think it was going for that. Uh, the no. roof off the building match whatsoever. Um, hi, Kevin, you know, doing some mockery of Eminem, pretending to take pictures was good on there. And after the match, when Joey won't, you know, shake hands, he just rolls away, and Kevin's doing crybaby shtick like he's Christian. Uh, it was good stuff, too. So, but again, it's a, it's, I, I think I'm in agreement on the other match. Um, 
stands out to me far more and has a little bit has more intensity and more aggression. Uh, it's a it's a notch above. It felt more like a Kevin match. The other, the rematch of this felt more like yes. a Kevin match than this did. Yes. And uh, so the the finish of this it's eleven minutes and six seconds. Um, double arm DDT. Uh, Steen kicks out at two. Uh, hits a super kick, but he takes too long climbing the top. He gets crutched. He tries to lift Joey up for the package pile driver. That does not work because his neck is still sore, uh, which he sold pretty much the entire match. Uh, you know, angling that off of the three matches from the night before and being beaten up by the cinder block hands of Goshiozaki. Um so instead of uh, going for the package pile driver for the win, Kevin Steen is a Canadian, therefore he must put on the sharpshooter. And indeed he did. Joey would tap at 11 minutes and six seconds. Uh, I just learned, like the follow the fallout of this match that I will remember is the fan screaming out, the Amy Winehouse lyrics at Joey and just a, f- a flat response to the match. Um, I, I thought there would be more. It, it was not. Yeah. Um, we go to the back for a promo. We've got Daisy Hayes. And uh, she calls tonight the night she's been waiting for. Now. No, she says it's actually the biggest night of her career, and she wants to replicate exactly what she did at ROH's undeniable event, and that is pinning Sarah Del Rey for the second time. Of course, there's a Shimmer title match later on in the card tonight. So we'll talk more about Shimmer and some statistics. My co-host, our expert analyst, broadcast journalist himself, (laughs) Shane Hagedorn, discovered. But first... We're going to talk about Ghost Yozaki taking on a man wearing guy liner, Austin Aries. So it doesn't say guy liner on the package, it just says eyeliner. No, but he was wearing <coughs> eyeliner. Uh, so because Austin he's a guy? Aries hair, yes, and it's eyeliner. So he is wearing guy liner, short mm. guy eyeliner. Uh, Austin Aries hailing from Hot Topic this match um i mean have you ever actually gone on a hot topic besides yes. to buy like young bucks merch no <laughs> okay yeah I, i'm gonna put a kibosh on that statement and say by like 2008 hot topic was barely the goth store anymore <laughs> than it was uh, in its inception so what did they sell? Everything. There's entertainment stuff of all kinds. There's pops, there's wrestling stuff, band shirts, anime stuff, toys, pajamas. I mean, there's still a little the gothy stuff in there. The you know, But I love how even to this day you still slap like it's that's all the store sells. I don't know. It's Not even located. It's a, it is a pop culture store that is what it is we have like another store in the mall that sells like the funko pops and uh 
like oh, FYE sells them. No, it's not FYE. It's sells called like them. Tuesday, Tuesday something. In Texas? Like no. Uh, Night Titans? No. Um, God, I can't think of it. It's next to our Foot Locker. But, There's a lot of stores that sell them. So. But they, they have but like... Certain stores get exclusives. They have like all Eddie the Guerrero stuff. Guerrero exclusive coming in March from GameStop. They have all the stuff that a Hot Topic would have, except it's a much like, I don't know, happier atmosphere. It's not as dark and gloomy on the inside. Hot Topic in my mall is so brightly lit, it does not fit your Hot Topic stereotype. My Hot Topic is very dark and gloomy, and I feel like it's going to rain every time I'm in there. Maybe that's just the cloud over your head. No, no, I'm in a cloud of happiness right now. <laughs> well, thank you, Captain Gummy. But I was also in a cloud of. I was also in a cloud of happiness. <laughs> did you go for a transition there of speaking of gummies? I did, but it just kind of fell in my lap. I I heard it. I, I don't know where it was going, but I'll take it. Uh, Go Shizaki in Austin Aries here. Uh, I was expecting on the rewatch to enjoy this match just as much as I did live, and it didn't come off that way until the end. Mm-hmm. And it was because I had forgotten how this ended. Mm. And the the desperation that Austin Aries shows to get off of his losing streak. The way he did it is one of the most brilliant and authentic uh, wrestling sequences that you'll find because every person in the building knew how desperate he was based on the moves he was doing in the order he was doing. Mm-hmm. That crowd got it. I think, too, the crowd also went into this super hype because right before this match is when we made the announcement of the Hammerstein. I, I have zero yeah. recall yeah. of that. We made, and and they, they, um, Lenny Leonard mentions it at the top of the match, too, that the announcement was made in the building um, that we were going to be debuting... In the Hammerstein for what would be a new level. They'll won the archives. The mat, that, so that, that announcement was made going into this match. So I think the fans were extra like, yeah, going into here already. Is it because they didn't have to go up the stairs? Maybe. <laughs> they didn't have to wait in the elevator or walk up the seven and a half flights of stairs. Yeah. Yep. I used to run. I those, was. I used to run up those stairs and I'd get to the top. And like I was a fat guy, but I was not blown up. Like I had good cardio for a fat guy. And then there would be other people that would get up to the top of those stairs, and they would need a few moments. Uh, But I don't know. It's one of those fun little blessings that I had. Uh, This match. Is a blessing. Yeah, but I couldn't even think like I couldn't help but think like what a debut weekend for Go. Yeah, just 
to go to go from wrestling from this one scheduled match with Eric and this match with Aries to the three matches he had the night before and then this match with Aries. It's just a it ends up being a tremendous, uh, tremendous weekend for him to say, hi, I'm here now. Well, so I I look at it from a different standpoint. I don't just think, okay, he's coming to the States for a weekend and he's picking up his life and moving here. I look at it as his first weekend in, he's wrestling four completely different matches. Mm -hmm. Welcome to America. Yep. Where you'll never wrestle the same match twice. Uh, I I think the, the challenge that he was up for like wrestling Kevin, there is that extreme intensity that's attached to it, mixed with that hybrid Ring of Honor style in quotation marks. Then the Necro match that he started the evening with, that's a level of violence that he's not used to wrestling in pro wrestling, Noah. Um, and then, you know, pulling the... the curtain back even further his second round uh against brian uh it wasn't was it brian no it was generico kevin wrestled brian okay so uh, against generico same point would have been made but like you're wrestling generico in the second round you have to move at this pace to keep up because he's just going boom 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 and he's gonna he's gonna make you look great he's gonna sell his ass off for you but you gotta bring that you gotta bring that fire and if you can't it's not gonna work and now you come to the Manhattan Center on the 6th anniversary show and you're wrestling Austin Aries who is in this storyline slump and is he is he age of the fall? Is he not age of the fall? Um, that, from a storyline perspective, to Go Shizaki is, am I going to have another bloody brawl like I had with the Necro Butcher, or am I going to get the wrestling machine? How do I kayfabe prepare for this match? Mm-hmm. And I think that added a lot of intrigue to the match itself, and. It started out, you know, go doing his thing, hitting hard. Aries, you know, going for a flurry of strikes, trying to get the big guy off his feet. Um, The chops were just ridiculous from Aries because they were so hard. And when he would do the overhand uh, left-handed chop, like, there's just something about the way that it looks that it looks like it hurts. Oh, it hurts like hell. Oh, I, I'm not denying that part, but it looks because of the angle he's coming down at. You're not used to things coming from that side. Uh, so that was really cool because Go just got this stone faced look on his, you know, uh, that he's he's bringing like his tough guy look, and Aries open hand chops him or overhand chops him I should say 
and Go is just like grinding his teeth to not go fuck <laughs> <laughs> like that to me is just one of the most impressive parts of the Austin and Aries repertoire that overhand chop uh so Aries takes it to the floor. Uh, they use the guardrail. Use the ring post. Um, I thought it was interesting that Aries would go to the guardrail immediately once he got to the floor. Um, maybe trying to get the fans into what he did to Nigel back in December. Um, but it was something completely different. He didn't try the same thing. Um, but once they they really pick up the match. Uh, Aries picks up Shizaki for a big suplex and just drops him on the floor. Yeah, it was weird because he it, it was watching it back. Aries is picking him up like he's just going to do the belly-to-back suplex on the apron. And then he switches sides and go. I'm like, how's Go going to land on the... Oh, he doesn't land on the apron. He lands on the floor. Oh, fuck. Ow. Which is pretty much my... Would have been my verbal reaction if I wasn't watching it with headphones on while Nathan was on his Zoom for school. I was just like, ow. Because, yeah, there's no... I thought it was going to be an apron bump because that's the hardest part of the ring. But it's not. It's the floor, which is the hardest part of the floor. (laughs) The floor is the hardest part of the floor. Thank you, Michael Jordan. The yes. roof is the ceiling. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that was, I just was, ow. Like, ow. Ow. I I thought it was interesting how fast he made the, the switch of the sides. He was like, oh, I have an idea. How about you land on the floor? But that was one of those things where, like, was that intentional? Was he just switching sides to land and not realizing there's no way it goes landing on the apron here? <laughs> Whatever the thought process was, it ends in ow. Welcome to America, motherfucker. Uh-huh. Think you're coming in to take my spot? No! Go to the floor. So, after the ridiculous landing on the floor, Aries continues to heat up. He hits the heat-seeking missile. That's the low pay um, that we talked about earlier that he did to Nigel. Uh, He brings uh, Shizaki back in the ring, tries a bridging German suplex. That gets it to... uh, There's more chops. Go hits a massive lariat, which Aries does the inside-out bump. Uh, Shizaki misses a moonsault. And... I said, whenever I even think of Aries and the inside out bump, I just always flash back to that Eric Cannon match in IWA. Do you do you have a story you'd like to share? Well, I, I how many know the match? Actually, uh, Eric Can- he, Eric Cannon broke his collarbone uh, in that match. Um, Taking trying to do the inside out bump on on Aries clothesline. So I just whenever I hear the word those words Aries and that bump in the same sense I think of that and just my whole body goes because I remember watching because this match that that building and I don't remember which building it was by name but you know the ring was on the floor and there was like a track above where the ring was and I 
was standing up there watching the match and just like uh, and like several people got hurt on that night i think that might have been the same night that i got my permanent scar on my back uh delirious got dinged up by a power bomb during their tag match the wild cards versus franco and or not versus um stars more and franco versus delirious and claudio like it was a night where many several several people think got of, injured think about that match for a second right but like, eddie kingston blackjack marciano delirious and claudio and franco and stars more yeah that was a three-way, mm-hmm. three-way tag yep does that not seem excessive to you as does no, there was 712 people booked in that weekend, of which 12 probably got paid. So, <laughs> and maybe eight people bought tickets. Yes, the only the only show that had any fans is the anniversary show with Punk and AJ. But yeah, sorry, sorry for the sidebar on that one. But yeah, when I hear Aries and that bump, I think of Cannon and that bump, and I go. Ee-ee. So. I didn't realize this, but the IED, the dropkick in the corner that mm-hmm. Aries does, it's called the Impact Explosion Dropkick. I was I um, intermittent explosive dropkick is how I I always just thought of it as. I didn't. If, it, if it's like, the impact explosion dropkick just sounds like somebody being cutesy with Harry's uh, employment history. I mean, that's funny. Even if he's, I mean, this is that he maybe he maybe he, it's something he called it. He, this is the same guy who was doing the stroke and a figure four when he first came back to Ring of Honor from TNA. So yep. it's very possible that is why he called it the IED. I think that's hysterical. Uh, so go hits or uh, misses a moonsault. Aries locks and in the a horn. Gorgeous moonsault. I wrote gorgeous moonsault in my notes. Miss it, it or not, it's beautiful. Is it the most gorgeous moonsault ever? It's very possible. It is up there. It I mean, is, it's not it the is, best. It is Kurt Angle. It is Kurt Angle off the top of the cage. Beautiful. Yeah, that that's one thing that I I really hope. I know he's doing a new podcast with Conrad. I really hope he talks about how he figured out that his moonsault was so fucking awesome. <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, I could do a really good backflip. I'm going to mix this one in every match." I think I'll climb a cage and miss this. And the answer will probably be, that was the first moonsault I ever did. Would that surprise you? Not at all. <laughs> Not uh, at all. I think it's just natural for some people. Yeah. Uh, so. Oh, and you're an Olympic freaking gold medalist. That you won with a broken freaking neck. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Horns of Aries, Go does not tap. Uh, he breaks up the hold by grabbing the ropes. Uh, the Orange Crush gets hit for a two count. He tries the go flasher, but Aries fights him away, hits the back suplex, brain buster, kick out, horns of Aries again, no, knee strikes, no, go flasher, no, Aries fights out of it, knees to the face, fisherman buster, Aries kicks out at two. These guys going insane here to finish this one out. Chops to the face, that's right, in the face. Uh, go looks for a lariat, 
but Aries counters with the crucifix bomb, hits the kick, brain buster, 450 splash, the Samoa Joe destroying combination to beat Goshiyazaki picks up the win for Austin Aries, 20 minutes and two seconds. Solid wrestling up at the top of this match, but then it just went to a next. Yeah, it, it builds, it builds. And I think the one thing that you, you gloss over in kind of calling back the, the, the moves is that how Go gets to the Fisherman's Buster is Aries is kneeing him in the head, but Go's continuing to hold him up. Go goes down to his knees and stands back up, catches Aries' leg, and then does it. It's amazing. It's awesome. It's this match is a, it, this is a great example of a match that just builds. Like it starts so like it starts slow, strong, a feeling out process of sorts. Not a chain wrestling feeling out, but just. Now, what does this guy have? What does this guy have? And they keep testing each other. It goes to the floor for a little bit, back in the ring. And then once it goes back in the ring, it just then it starts escalating so rapidly. And it just, it, it, man, it's just such a hot finish. And even at the beginning, there's little things like goes not that seasoned will just go he doesn't have you know a decade under his belt at this point you know he's on his excursion he's a couple three years in but he already shows so much uh experience that even people on the roster at the time could have like should learn from and it's simple things like taking your time with shit getting the most out of your minutes, as Hero uh, said on his Maximize podcast the other day, he he milks his chops. He's not in there throwing thirty of them in a minute. He levels Aries and lets it register to the fans. As opposed there's, there's to chop, yeah. As opposed to chop him and just keep chopping him because it gets a pop, you know. And that was one thing I think that it took a while to sink in with, like Roddy. I think he abused the fuck out of his chops for a while. Like it got reactions, but it was diminishing returns sometimes because it would just be like you can get more out of them if you just take the time to let them register. Yeah, um, with the fans. And, you know, he would eventually, but I think at first it was excessive. <laughs> uh, yeah. Go here, he, he chops Aries, Aries sells into the big sells into the ropes, and Go takes his time before he delivers the next one. And they register, it's boom! Here's a response from the fans, here's giving the guy time to sell it, getting him back up, Boom! Puts him back down. Like, it just, it's, he shows to me in this match, in the, excuse me, an experience and, like, an awareness that is greater than his years in the ring. And may that may come from the, the, the dojo training, from who trained him, how, with Kobashi, and how it's done. Um, but it definitely shows. So, 
there's a couple of things on Go that I came away from this weekend. Now, I, I had seen him in Noah a lot. Obviously, you know, the couple Ring of Honor shows in the UK that he had done. He did the uh, the one uh, Noah Ring of Honor show in Japan prior to this. Um, the, the overwhelming, like, character trait was that he wrestled beyond his years. And I feel like that is something that is so rare anywhere. WWE, AEW, Impact, Ring of Honor, the Indies, other Japanese promotions. Like, I haven't seen anybody look like an experienced veteran that fast. Brian. That, that's but that's somebody who popped not maybe not nineteen ninety nine, right? Know, with still with the mask on, but I still think that Brian looked far more seasoned in two thousand two than he actually was. Okay, yeah, like I think that's a fair comparison, but I I think go so Brian started in ninety eight. I. First match may have been 98, 99. I want to say 99. I want to say 99 because I always base it on when I almost dropped out of college to go to this Texas Wrestling Academy. That would have been in 98. And I would have been there before him, if I recall. So would Go would have started in 03? I believe so. I'm just trying to, like, off the top of my head. Because he was in some of those, like, opening six-mans with, like, yeah. Su- Suyoshi Kikuchi and Timon Honda and yeah. et cetera, et cetera. But, um... It goes 04. He okay. started right at... He started uh, in, Ju- in July of 04. So, Go is roughly four years in here. Mm-hmm. Three and a half, yeah. Three and a half, four years in. Mm-hmm. Brian would have been roughly around the same time frame. Yep. Give or take. In O2. I, I think those are the two most prime examples of wrestling beyond your years. Being the part before you're ready to be the part. Yeah. Um I just I love this match. Yeah. I think you mentioned the word thrill ride earlier in reference to Kevin and Joey Matthews and how it wasn't a thrill ride. Had that gone another 10 minutes, I don't think it would have been a thrill ride. No. Like we probably would have been giving our our laptops a thrill ride across the room. <laughs> but this match started out very similarly a feeling out process some you know highlights and whatnot but not a whole lot and then it just went downhill like of a roller coaster like yeah the hot the high spot the high spot of a roller coaster is this right like it was that it didn't go downhill in the negative sense. You yes. Mean it was, yes. Yeah. I mean, it's never fun to climb up the roller coaster. That's boring. Nah, it's the anticipation. It's the anticipation. I, I'm not. 
I'm not getting on a roller coaster again. So I'll let you do the anticipating for me. Shit is scary. The other so one other thing I had in this match uh, that I noted, and I want to ask you if you've noticed if you picked up on it too. Uh, Aries kicks in this match like more than I ever remember him kicking ever. It's like the, his offense in this match, his striking offense in this match, is so predominantly kicks. Uh, I felt like he had a sincere out to me. I I really do feel like this, and I felt like this that night. Uh, I feel like Aries had a bug up his ass about another Japanese guy coming into the company. And I have no concrete... Uh, this is strictly an opinion. It's not fact, uh, as far as I know. But I feel like Aries had another bug up his ass about somebody coming into the company, getting all this attention and hype, and he's in some, you know, slow pace. He, he doesn't get to be the center of attention. I think this is more just your personal opinion about Aries bleeding into any kind of reality. Very, it's very uh, possible. That's why I said it's an opinion. But I felt like Aries came out with a point to prove that he can go just like everybody else. I don't think there's anybody who ever questioned that until 2009. <laughs> so, uh, and even that, it wasn't a question of if he could. It was why aren't you? Um yeah, I think you're just projecting. But I, I might like, be. I, I'm not going to go with might. I'm going to take out any might and say you're just projecting. Uh, but that I thought was an interesting thing. I'm like that he it was all I felt almost as if it was he wasn't going to exchange strikes like that with go because he kicks so much in this match as opposed to any kind of forearms. He does throw some the chops, as you mentioned, but there's so much kicking from Aries that it I was like, wow. I, I, enough that it stood out to me as an unusual amount for him. Well, maybe he he was afraid of getting knocked to loopy so he could be focused in on the segment that comes after this match. Uh-huh. You, which you that. clearly hate by the tone of your voice. Yes. Yes, I do. Why? I, I just think it was so unnecessary. Like, Why? What, what did it lead to that mattered? Are you are referring to only Sonny's part of this, aren't yes, you? Yes, that's my only negative. Okay. Opinion. Well, I just said you hate the segment. Not you the whole... hate Sonny's involvement. Yes, I didn't. Okay. But I, what I did think worked. I loved the the way the show or the segment was lit with everybody in their different spaces up top. Uh, I thought the verbal was good. Um, I just, I, I mean, I don't want to knock Sunny, you know, while she's down and 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 out. But even in two thousand eight, who cares? Like uh, this is the best. Clearly, the entire audience. They did. You're the uh, exception. You're the exception who thinks everyone else should respond the way you do. Uh, no, I'm not saying <laughs> that I'm right. But what I am saying is there's not somebody else that's out there that's more 
timely no, a decade that, after the peak of her I think fame. you missed the point. I think you missed the point. Maybe. Then. Uh, I, I think you do. Because the point is that you have the diva, the blueprint, so to, so to speak, of the diva. Throwing, as Lacey says, her tits at Aries. Yes, it actually, it, I watched him like, this is completely out of the blue. And what is what is the motivation of this happening uh, for Sonny? But as a juxtaposition to what Lacey represents and that that story, um, it who who is a better opposite? Who's the better yin and yang than what Lacey, as Age of the Fall, Lacey represents, and in some ways always did, uh, than the the diva the original diva so i'd have to think about who was out there at that point and obviously sunny was unadvertised she lives in the area so she's going to be a reasonable get as far as cost goes she wasn't unadvertised she was advertised mm-hmm. oh i don't remember that at all yeah she was advertised hmm But it, it just never went anywhere from here. I mean, she probably ended up in jail or something. So, well, uh, I mean, I mean, it ended up. <laughs> Why? <laughs> she was in Florida and then threatened to stab people, and uh, was never like she just kind of wasn't around anymore. Um, yeah, it doesn't really go anywhere in itself, but it, for that moment. It just you don't even think of who's available. Can you for that moment, that role? Can you think of anyone else who is a better antithesis to Lacey? To everything that Lacey is, as far as like uh, yes. the character, the presentation of the physicality, like everything, total opposite. Yeah. Uh, Stacy Keebler um, would have been more really? timely. And probably would have gotten more buzz. Um, oh yeah, more, more buzz than a Sunny who appears to have her shit together for the first time in years. Yeah, I think so. Mm. I mean, I don't want to make this out to be like I'm an anti-Sunny person. I'm not. Trust mm. me, I'm not. Uh, but. Like, I just, I don't know. It felt like you're shoehorning in something to, like, continue the air. Is he or is he not Age of the Fall just to get to the next thing? Just to make it linger a little bit more. Um, I every bump in the road in the story is the way to yes. drag it to prolong it and but eventually things last too long and then the I story mean, never really got completed on for a year completed all over Tyler Black's face at Final Battle 2008 it got completed uh, but it didn't end the way it was intended to end I guess well, is the, the point 
Oh. I'm making different bookers. Um, the side yes. thing, I don't know if Gabe had some grand vision for what would happen with her or what her purpose was in all of this. Um, Another thing to or, add to my list or, of questions or for Gabe. If it just or it just goes away because of Sunny. Uh, but I don't. I cannot think of anybody who is more antithetical to Lacey than, as I said, the the prototype for the divas going forward. Uh, she was in Orlando, and I, yeah, I don't. And then, don't remember what that's the last time I remember her being there is Orlando. She came to like the highlight thing, I think. And was not of sound mind and body. The highlight thing. Yeah, there was like a a day where like Sweeney and Jigsaw and Ruckus and I don't even remember. Kevin and Generico, I think, were at Highlight. You know, you know what Highlight is, right? Yes, like the do. game. Uh, yes. But they were like Steve playing Highlight. Average Cigar City. Cheap, cheap plug there that they yeah. like to sponsor us, send us some samples. Uh, but yeah, like there was a Highlight thing and then like an autograph signing and a fan fest and like everybody was in gimmicks. So like Sweeney was walking around, you know. No recollection of this, but yeah. that's because I was not involved with it in any way, shape or form. No, there was like uh, a I mean, the guy who helped the guy who helped like, you know, finance gear was a Highlight related and Sal had shitting with Highlight. But with I, I have no recollection of Sonny doing anything of value of past or post Orlando uh, in, in March, April. Uh, but I don't know. I thought this whole segment was pretty damn impressive given the fact that we are a shitty, technologically speaking, uh, wrestling company with the budget of like a four-year-old's lemonade stand um, as far as production values go. Uh, if this had done been something done with, this could have been a... Like, for this could have been a total disaster in presentation uh, given our general failure to like, you know, turn on spotlights when people are fighting in the crowd and shit like that. Um, and yet, and somehow they managed to nail it with cameras recording where they needed to be recording. Uh, and I think that our broke ass production budget actually helps with conveying that this is very, um, in some ways spontaneous because obviously it's not spontaneous because why would spontaneous things have different colored you know lights and going on and off but it, it, it with that there's not a camera guy standing right next to Lacey filming there's not a camera guy standing right next to Jimmy filming Reza there's not another one standing right next to Tyler filming Tyler and there's not one right on the floor filming Aries they're literally just shooting them wherever they pop up because we don't know where they're coming from so it's the floor cameras having to shoot up at Tyler to get that. It's it just it, it, it ends up coming off very well uh, given the massive limitations of Ring of Honor's uh, production values, and I thought they nailed it to watch it back like oh, that. Yeah. And I remember them going 
I remember the, them going over it before the show. And, you know, okay, well, then the lights need to go on here and here. And I'm... And so, like, the, the, the collective, like, you know, if it was Wayne and Mary dealing with stuff with the lights and the audio and the cues for everything and the camera, you know, uh, Puente on the floor and Jimmy on the floor and I guess probably would have been Eric on hard cam at this point, too. Like, it all worked way better than it had any right to. It was a Grand Slam home run timing-wise for everything here. I I think having them in the three different spots was a great idea to show that this, you know, rogue group could come from anywhere at any time. It it differentiated them. And you also had three different stories at this point for Tyler Black, Jimmy Jacobs, and Lacey. So the juxtaposition of the the stories being in three different sides of the building I thought was really artistic that it, it fit with Age of the Fall um, but again I you know and then she throw, Sunny, throws in the line of offering sunny days to Austin Aries yeah. like that a Da, 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 da. You know, yeah. gotta throw in those little inside jokes that are only kind of inside. Yeah, you know, people in attendance know what she means without any sort of uh, the innuendo. It's very thick in innuendo. As soon as uh, Sunny comes out, well, she is. Her and Aries are thick in innuendo. Uh, Lacey is not thick in innuendo. She just flat out calls her an old aging whore with saggy boobs and uh, and, and, and cellulite. And, and, and the, the saggy boobs was a flat out slanderous false accusation um, because they were not. Sonny looked good here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, it just... I don't... I just felt like this was Gabe playing up. Oh, I know her from ECW. Not just that. Also from the Wrestle Vixens and shit like that. Was that the Missy Hyatt thing? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, was that going on? This no, that was year. That was like two thousand, like two, three. I don't know. That was before I even worked there. Before I was ever training, it was years prior. Yeah, to that, but I don't have a timeline on that. But I mean, that was you know, our video production. Was it really? Yeah, I didn't know. I mean, that. They sold it. Maybe they wouldn't produce it, but they sold it. Well, we don't mention that company's name. I'm gonna have Zach yeah. beat that. Well, we can associate them with smut because it's a company anchored in that very topic. But there's another good one thing I did want to point out too from production standpoint. Um, They, whoever was up there uh, getting the balcony shot of Lacey gets a great reaction shot from her that they comes in as far as editing wise that gets dumped in right as when Sonny comes out. Lacey has this look 
that is just captured and it's one of those great like oh that just happens uh yes yeah, it's, you know, it's like one of, of the opening notes on back to black mm. or back in black um which i think that song being played for her to come out worked out perfectly because everybody knew everybody knows scotty doesn't yeah uh but i thought that was such a a perfect intro song for her to use back in the era of real music Mm -hmm. from popular bands before that got zapped um although tony khan bringing it back (laughs) baltimore tarzan boy the next one he's got to buy is jefferson starship jane my next suggestion i was going to suggest white rabbit white rabbit jefferson airplane oh see i don't know and the white knight is talking backwards okay you no i was not a big jefferson when she's 10 feet tall that that band got played every once in a great while uh, in my house growing just up. Go, but just go fuck your Beach Boys albums. I will. Right now, I'm big on the Foo Fighters. New Foo Fighters mm-hmm. album. Two thumbs up. Brilliant. Uh, Jeff had maybe, never heard the Foo Fighters before no, they were on no, Stern this week, no, uh, so no, he thinks they're a new band. No, no. He said no. they're the best band of the last 30 years. They have not existed True. for 30 years. 1995. Yeah, that's not 30 years. 26 years ago. Okay. Yeah. Twenty. The last 26 years. Yeah, you're, 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 you're projecting Foo Fighters into Nirvana era. Just saying. Okay, fine. But Dave Grohl's the king. Uh, I, well, I saw him on a throne. The proof, proof he's a king. I saw him when, broke, sitting when he broke his leg. Yep. And it was awesome. You know who owns that throne? No. Axel Rose. Ah. He'll probably die taking his shit on it. No! Hey. Oh, Axel Rose is going to live forever. Yes, he actually will. I hope so. Maybe he could make like at least one more album while he's still alive. Mm. Cross my fingers. Uh, Make an album. Davy Richards actually shows up for a booking. Well, what's up? My name is Matt Durvine, and I'm here to tell you about the two podcasts that I host on the Club Kayfabe Creative Communities CKCC Radio. The first is called By the Numbers, where I interview wrestlers whose matches I have refereed in my nearly 20-year independent professional wrestling career. Tune in and hear the stories of the matches and the stories behind the matches themselves. My other show is called The A-Show, co-hosted by Chris Decker. Each episode, Chris and I are joined by one or two special guests, and together we hold a mock draft based on a specific year and wrestling promotion, and then build cards based on our drafted rosters. You, the listener, decide who has the best card by voting on our Twitter poll each episode. You can hear By the Numbers and The A-Show Mondays at 9 a.m. alternating weeks on CKCC Radio, wherever you get your podcasts. He's not here right now for this booking, but expert news journalist... Eric Busy K 
catching up with Roderick Strong, Rocky Romero, one half of the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Champions, the No Remorse Corps. No Remorse! Shout out, Matty B. Uh, Davey Richards is late because he's downtown getting the title belt shined. I mean, have you you've seen that FIP title? It's a dangerous thing to get shined. That's Eric Stevens' head. I mean, I would wear a suit of armor and hold it. Maybe uh, that thing is dangerous. Wait, what? Dangerous. Yes. Um. But so Davy has uh he shows up and he realizes he's left the belt at the hotel. Okay. It was just a wonderful I don't know if it was meant to be an inside joke or if they're just picking on Davy at this point or if Davy's habit of forgetting or leaving the belt places had even started yet. But it's glorious. I laughed because of the amount of times it happened. Well I uh I thought it was funny. Um, it worked. Uh, Romero informs him that uh, he cannot come party with them tonight because he wants his tag title shined. So Davey is going to have more belt shining to do since he is the young boy of the No Remorse Corps. This is probably the best character of Davey Richards in his Ring of Honor run. It's not even close. Cause just the 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 disappointment on his face when he's told he can't go out, it would he just and and the wonderful like dichotomy of how he is in the ring versus what happens when the bells you know when they walk back through that curtain, it's it's wonderful and I loved it. It's the best Davy Richards mm. that there was. It, it's not even like I'm not gonna even hear an argument. Mm. Um, but we go to the ring uh, out from intermission and uh, Shimmer title on the line. Sarah Del Rey versus Daisy Hayes. Part two. Uh, <laughs> part X of 63 is what it is. Yes. Uh, without remorse, Daisy berated Sweet and Sour Inc. for disrespecting the world title and the tag team titles by creating the intergender tag team championship for Chris Hero and Sarah Del Rey. But she did say that she respected Sarah as Shimmer champion. So now they have a Shimmer title match. Yep. Let me tell you. So I was not in my seat for mm, 75% of this match. What were you doing, Jeffrey? I was in line. You know the little, uh, like, alcove where the pizza was? At the Manhattan Center? Uh, You come into the the ballroom and then you go off to the side? Yeah. I was in line. Gotcha. Who was in charge of pizza distribution that evening? I don't know. We, we said nice things about him earlier. Being a talented artist. Oh, Mitchell. Yes. Mitchell Franklin. And that line was not moving very fast. Yeah, a tip jar out. Did, I think. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he did. Uh, 
I mean, yeah, it, there were a lot of people. So it wasn't his fault by any stretch of imagination. There was just a lot of fucking people in there. It's a tiny space. Um, so I was stuck in there. So I, I missed the bulk of this live. Uh, I wished I was waiting in line for pizza when I watched this match back. Um, I don't... I just got nothing from this match. Yeah, it's it's uh it is not indicative to the skill sets that both women have as professional. Yeah. Actors. Exactly. No, I agree. I agree. This is one of their lesser matches between the two. Um this might be the worst okay. Sarah Del Rey match I've ever seen. Mm, I haven't seen enough Sarah Del Rey matches uh <laughs> to say <laughs> this is the way I can't to to, to 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 confidently say that statement, like I've never watched Shimmer, period, so I can't really make that statement. Um, but they had plenty of matches. That's what I did during this match. Uh, I went statistic hunting because I was very curious. Um, in part because, as I mentioned, on Eye of the Storm. We had Mercedes Martinez as a manager, second, whatever. Booty. She was a booty uh, and never And for a very brief period of time and did not have her in matches. Uh, and here we are presenting yet another Sarah Del Rey and Daisy Hayes match. So I was like, how many times did they wrestle? So I just looked on good old cage match and found that... They had 63 matches together in some form, be it as partners or as foes. Tag matches, singles matches, multi-person matches. 63. What did I tell you? 24 the other day? Hold on. How many of those those 63? That's 63 total. Cross-company borders. Not in Ring of Honor. How many of those matches do you think were in Ring of Honor? 24 is what 20. I guessed. 20. I was not Still, far off. That wow. is a, a third of all of their matches took place in Ring of Honor. Wow. Up to from the time of their first match, which was Sarah's first Ring of Honor match at Destiny in June of 06. To this point, this was their 11th match. Oh, now, to be fair, that's 11 matches out of 66 shows. Sure. 72 if you count the UK shows and the Japan shows. But I just mixed those because there was no chance. And I don't know how many of those shows they were actually on at all in terms of I didn't do that part of the math. But still, that's almost 17% of the shows from June of 06 to February of 08, they wrestled each other. They both, weird coincidence, had 58 Ring of Honor matches. So, 34.5% of their matches were against each other in Ring of Honor. I don't know whether to be revolted by that or to be impressed. 
It just, it's one of those things where I look back at them, it just be, it was actually less than I thought, but it's still a lot for the time frame and the number of shows. Uh, It feels like a lot. Um, And yeah, I'll be, some of those are tag matches. Some of those are mixed tag matches. Some of those are like the, you know, six waves or whatever, but it just, it felt like uh, so much was well. We don't ah, just wrestle each other. Ah, just wrestle each other. Yeah, ah, was, we'll throw Lacey in here to make it different. Ah, we'll throw danger. in you know uh, danger to make it different. But it just it felt as if you know I, I it, it, it was it was just the go to of oh we're gonna put women on the show we'll put Sarah and Daisy in a match together. I'm just so baffled by that. Like, it goes to show the the apprehension to going outside the bubble. Well, and I think if it wasn't for the, the if it wasn't for the WWN synergy of FIP, Shimmer, and Ring of Honor, uh, I don't know if this even would have been put on a show. You know, just because no. we didn't. Um, this women's wrestling was not something Ring of Honor did well or consistently and with a minimal of variety. And you never gave the fans anything to emotionally invest in from a story standpoint either. Rarely. You're just throwing people out there like, oh, and a women's match. Yeah, very, very rarely. And, And any sort of emotional investment was always built around like for the most, for the most part, Sarah, Daisy, and they and um, Lacey, mm-hmm. as far as having any kind of story or anything, um, yeah, it's just a lot. And I, so I'll hit you with one more thing. Then, what's amazing to me is that neither of these two got a chance to get to WWE, like television WWE. Obviously, we know yeah. Sarah is there. You know, doing such a great job with coaching, but as good as they were at, at being the, I guess the forerunners of women's independent wrestling, WWE never shook a stick at them to come sign. Mickey yep. James is really the last one. Well, and even then. How long was she there before they did anything with her? The Trish thing was like the first thing she did on TV, but she was in OVW before that. Yeah, which felt like forever. I, I honestly, I don't. Yeah, know. maybe a it couple felt of like years. forever. Yeah, it felt like forever between her getting signed in '03 and when she actually showed up on TV, and yeah. You know. At that point, was a, a it was a was a rarity in terms of uh, how wrestling women's wrestling was presented there. I I don't want to like completely not talk about the match itself, but I think those numbers are just so astounding. Yeah, um, that they take away anything that we could talk about from the match itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sarah would stomp Daisy. Like Brian Ames. and Ni- Brian and Nigel did not wrestle. 11 times in a year. <laughs> oh. 
I don't. I should say I don't believe that they had eleven matches in a year. Uh, Tag singles, etc. Yeah. Um, it's just it's it, to me it's afraid of being going outside the box trying something. Yeah. And when when they did, it was like Sarah's going to squash Jennifer Blake in two minutes. Yep. Daisy's going to wrestle Jamila Craft in a ninety-second match, uh, and that was years later. I'm a little ahead of myself. I don't even know who that, that is. Jenny Rose. Jenny Rose. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, for the for the time frame, it was you know here's here's a two-minute match for Nevea. It's you know a very 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 limited, very brief, and very little uh, in terms of like fresh faces or new talent that had any time given to them. Agreed. And I think it's not necessarily a money losing situation. I think it's more just that wasn't what the audience wanted. So it wasn't worth overthinking the situation. I think a lot of it too may have been, if you like this, go check out our sister promotion, Shimmer. Uh, DVD is available at ROHWrestling.com mm-hmm. um, So Sarah goes for a German suplex Daisy rolls through Heart punch, Yakuza kick combination Into the German suplex for two Sarah blocks a mind trip from Daisy And then Sarah just stomps Daisy right in the head uh, That was just disturbing uh, Royal Butterfly into the Butterfly Slam. Sarah gets away in 8 minutes, 29 seconds. Um, yeah, I mean, was what it was. Mm-hmm. Ring of Honor World Tag Team titles on the line. Up next, we have the No Remorse Core. No remorse. Of Davey Richards and Rocky Romero defending against the Vulture Squad of Ruckus and Jigsaw with Julius J. Train, the Devil Son-in-Law Smokes, and the booty vulture, Mercedes Martinez. I will never not find the phrase booty vulture to be amusing. Yeah. Just like, okay. <laughs> it's the most Julius Smokes, Julius Smokesism ever. Yeah. Yeah. Gerbils and G strings is now a solid number two. A booty vulture. <laughs> <laughs> Booty Vulture. Oh my. Well, this match starts out pretty good, um, but then it just gets to a point where there's just move after move after move after move. Dave Prezak and Lenny Leonard sound blown up on commentary because they have no chance to like breathe. Yeah. Um, I lost, got lost in the train of thought there, but like this, the open of this match, it's like, it's right out of dragon gate because they just keep going. They, yeah. There's, there's no, there is no, the feeling out process as we talked about earlier with going areas. There's just at it. Like right from the bell, it just they they go at it, which I liked. Um, and there's I, some stuff I, I like in the open, just a, you know, 
jigsaw goes for that good old wrestling leg sweep and Davey just kind of stops, looks at him and just kicks him in the chest. And I went, ah, that was good. That was good stuff. Yeah, um, this is, and like we said earlier, it's peak Davey Richards here. Yeah, and there's some good stuff like Rocky and Ruckus. Um, they have a little sequence where they just they just they, they, they show expert timing. They fought with expert timing. And yes, it was as fast as lightning. They kind of do a little back and forth, ga 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 ga, and rock, rock, ruckus. If anybody knows the spot, does that kind of like roll back into a head scissors, grabs the eye with their head, flips through, and just the timing razzle, that dazzle. they get to it. No, the razzle dazzles back flip, back flip, elbow. I'm talking head scissors. He just you know reversed up, up and over, flip, rolls yeah. backwards, rolls backwards, grabs the head scissors. Blah, yeah, and flips so but it just the timing that R- raucous, rock, raucous rocky raucous and ricky raucous and rocky show in this moment is just so spot on they nail it uh, you know there's no like awkward waiting or you know having to rush to feed into the to the headsets is just they they nailed their timing perfectly and i was just like damn that was good stuff and then rock, rocky rolls up into the ropes and does the head the, the spider stop spot and you know gets knocked out by a ruckus and it just it was really good i but think then the- it's just like damn just keeps going and going 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 to the point that any semblance of a tag match um, with rules of tagging and legal man are long gone. This is a, a two-on-two scramble match, essentially. Yes. So yes, it is. I think the one thing that I picked up from this match uh, that I think is a big topic that we've never really addressed at length on this show but the the most fundamental and macro concept of professional wrestling is timing Mm -hmm. in so many different ways and this match and the way it starts and keeps going and going and going like the energizer bunny is an example of that there's no blown spots here there's no out of control um how shall I, how can I say this? Like out of control, unorganized. Like this was all well put together and mm-hmm. structured and time, but it was solely because everybody hit their mark on their time. Yeah. And one little mistake would have probably ruined that, but it's remarkable how flawless the execution was. Yeah. And I'm not going to get into the, the, you know, minutia of like breaking down what timing is and, and how certain moves are done based on time frame, etc. But like this match, there's a, a, a spot that I, I wanted to pick on or pick out, not pick on, uh, where Ruckus comes in, he goes across, he hits a somersault plancha to the floor, and then uh, the somersault into a rocker dropper for a two count. The Rolling Fisherman Buster Powerbomb into the Ruckus Red Star Press gets a two count. Like, that little sequence, any semblance of, of like, being off by an inch 
fucks everything. Yeah. And then you get into some of the big highlights of the match. Ruckus hits the somersault van Terminator, uh, the corner to corner, coast to coast with a flip in the middle there. Um, he's a big boy going a long way. Um, that was impressive. Um, but I, I thought Jigsaw doesn't get the credit in this match uh, because he's kind of the the less shiny object compared to Ruckus. Um, you know, Ruckus has all the flips and stuff, but Jig is great here because he has to take the beating from Rocky Romero and Davy Richards. So you've got gotten to the point where it's Davy and Jig going at it, and Jig's getting kicked. He's you know str- like he's doing all the selling for his team. Um, and he's fighting back. He hits a big Jig and tonic on Davy. Uh, Rocky makes a big save. Ruckus uh, goes up top. He gets shoved off the top rope into the. This is where we're getting into the finish. Jigsaw goes for a tope suicida, and he gets kicked by Davy Richards. Davy then hits the alarm clock and the Liger bomb, and that is it. As Davy Richards makes the pin on Jigsaw, and the No Remorse Corps retain their tag team titles. To the surprise of nobody, uh, no. and and it's one thing like there's with this match that's missing is any any uh, drama of that. I don't think it, there. I don't think there's any feel that you're going to witness a title change. There's no because um, I just I, I don't think. As I said before, we talked about the fact the Vulture Squad was even getting a title opportunity here. There's no investment, um, unfortunately, because you do have two skilled wrestlers in, in Ruckus and Jigsaw. Um, but there's no investment in the Vulture Squad from the booking standpoint or the fans. And they, I think part of that's due to the absences of Jack, uh, Jack Evans, from so much of it. But it just there's there's no reason to think you're gonna see a title change and the fans don't have any reason to give a shit if the vulture squad wins um there's just nothing that's been done with them up to this point uh to to even validate them having a title opportunity uh but whatever it's as far as the the content of the match um it just there's no the moves register in the moment like the super cool like no remorse core ddt spot that jig breaks up at the last possible second like it's a super cool move and a pretty nifty way to to break up the pin but Five seconds later, it's on to the next thing. Like, there's no time. There's no time for anything that happens in this match to register <laughs> beyond in the second it happens because th- the next second something else happens and then something. There's just no breathing room um, to let any of it really sink in to the fans. And as I said, ultimately, there's no reason to invest in the Vulture Squad uh, as far as the, how they've been used up to this point. Um, but 
at least in the time frame it's given, it's pretty entertaining. It's just entertaining, fun stuff. Watch a good beating. Yeah. It's a perfect length for a match of that style. Yeah. And of course, this would lead to Jigsaw taking off his hat. It would. It's not a hat, it's a mask, and it is sacred. You saw the Mike Tanay pieces on Nitro years ago. I did. You know the value of that mask. It's a hat for his face. That's the hats go on head, masks go on face. Hats go on hats, too, sometimes. Hats can go on hats. This is also a pretty cool callback to Respect is Earned. Yes, I love this. Because it was totally unexpected. So the No Remorse Corps... You did not expect the unexpected. We haven't done that one in a while. No, I did not. No, I did the Spider-Nate Web. Yeah. Uh... But so we've got the No Remorse Corps in the ring. They're pumped. They got their win. Uh, it's the first of their two title matches on the evening. And Kevin Steen and El Generico appear on the stage in the crowd in the exact same spot where they were during Respect is Earned, uh, where they challenge the Briscoes. And they want a title shot. They want a piece of the No Remorse Corps. And uh, No Remorse Corps leave the ring. But not before Davey leans on his good old standbys that he would sling at Kevin for the next five years. You're fat boy. That's all he's got. You're fat. Fat. Fatty fat. 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 That's all he's got. He has nothing else to say when he has promos on Kevin. Whether he's a baby face talking to Kevin or a heel talking to Kevin, all You're he has fat. is Scott Steiner, Smojo in his brain. I think Davey can do math. Not like Scott Steiner can. Apparently not. Um, but yeah, I, I think that was a cool little moment uh, in time. And I think fans were really excited for the Steen and Generico ride that was coming. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. As evidenced by the pop they get on Driven. Available in the archives! Well... We go next to the FIP World Heavyweight Championship match. I really was pushing for a UWC United States title of the Intercontinental States of Pemberton, New Jersey title match, but Gabe wasn't having it. Grizzly Redwood could have been in that match. It could have. It's Roderick Strong defending against Eric Stevens versus the Necro Butcher. For no reason whatsoever. It's no disqualification, and that is justified because we know there's this incredible rivalry going on between Strong and Eric Stevens. It's justified because Necro's in the match, and eh. Necro rules. Necro has his own rules. And Necro rules. Butcher is no reason. I mean, I'm... I'm Happy he is because this match is such an entertaining violence party. Mm-hmm. But from a logistical standpoint of booking continuity, there is no reason for Necro to be in this match. He has had one FIP match in the last uh, year. No, since September of 2007, he had had one match in FIP. And it was, was the redefined weekend. 
It was the redefined weekend the weekend before when he lost to Nigel. <laughs> so just from a, a booking standpoint, there's absolutely zero reason for Necro to be involved in an FIP title match. <laughs> but I'm, just... I'm very glad he is because... <laughs> It's violent crap, and it's gorgeous and wonderful, yeah, you know and so much fun to watch. That phrase is, is so appropriate. This is violent crap. <laughs> and it is. Like, I love I love this match. Fuck yes. It's too. greatly enjoyable if you enjoy seeing people receive brain damage. It beat the shit out of each other. And Eric said it was one of his favorite matches when I posted it on Twitter. Didn't even tag. Didn't even tag him in it. He just <laughs> it was one of his favorites. I like. So I when I'm watching this, like I have such an appreciation for the Strong and Stevens feud, and I really want to do an episode at some point where we watch the comp DVD of their feud that I have. It's I think it's just one disc, um, and it's got pretty much every match they had in their story. Uh, all in the FIP. Yeah, there's FIP even stuff the on. dog collar match. I it could. I, I don't know for sure. Um, I might even put it up on like a Patreon or something for for our patrons. Um, but or maybe somebody wanted it as a, a monthly DVD. I don't remember. But uh, they. They just had such a great chemistry against each other, and the fans just never gave Eric a chance. This is a prime example of it because they booed the hell out of him. Uh, and Eric's head looks like it's gone through a cheese grater factory. Just the FIP title. Yeah, it was just the belt. Don't worry. Yeah, it's safe. Like, I want to know the logic of like, oh yeah, put a crown on top of my fucking belt. <laughs> you could actually stab an eye out with. Yes. Make it a shoot crown, please. Put the Game oh, of Thrones uh, <laughs> the, the the chair. Put that on top of the the, the fucking belt. I mean, like, oh man! At some point, you just have to say, like, this is not safe, and somebody that I am going to pay is going to do something very stupid to somebody else. I'm going to pay, and I'm going to be broke. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> so it's hilarious. No, it. I mean, yes, but no. But also, yes. So, they immediately, everybody's brawling, brawling, brawling. Uh, of course, under the FIP rules, you can lose the belt back, count out. So, there, so, there aren't, so that's why this is no DQ and no count outs. It's butcher's rules, everything goes. Yep. Uh, Eric Including and Roddy. ball claws. Yes. Which is consensual ball claws in this match. Yes. Um, I did not expect that Necro to lock on a claw, a testicular claw. Uh, so this thing starts with Strong and Stevens just trading ridiculous shots, and then they only take a break 
from punching each other in the face to backdrop the Necro Butcher onto the metal ramp. And then they resume beating the shit out of each other. Yeah. I mean, these two are I'm talking about. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm probably the biggest Eric Stevens fan uh, that there is. I bet his kids like him more than you. Well, okay. The non- most non-blood-related Eric Stevens fan. And I think every match he had with Roddy was a blast because they all felt different and violent. But my God, th- there's some things in this match where I just had to go. Oh. Most of the things that I did that to were necro-related, like him flinging chairs at kneecaps <laughs> and nearly killing himself every time he took a move because he... Uh, you know, he didn't uh, get up the best for power bombs and just kind of landed on his skull multiple he had times. A satchel ass. Roddy, Roddy dropped him on his head twice on Tiger Drivers, once through a table. And it's not Roddy's fault. It's because Necro, he can't get up to do it. He just kind of falls on his head. So the other thing ends about up being this, a pedigree through the table because he can't get his ass up for the tiger driver. <laughs> Praise that can't even pretend it was a tiger driver. He goes, "Well, that was more like a pedigree." <laughs> this is one of those matches for me. Like when I watch things that are just like ridiculously violent, I just laugh. Wrestling matches that are just like ridiculously violent and just involve people hitting each other as hard as they can. I just laugh because it's glorious violence. I I look at it as well. Here we are in 2021. One man is retired. The other man is a a physical shell of his former self and would not be identifiable in public. Because of all the damage he's gone through. Oh, and he had cancer. And then this other guy got shredded and is on TV every week. Yes. One survivor. Yeah. Uh, I I just... I find some of the stuff... Like, there's a, a, a chair shot that hits Necro right in the head from Roddy and Roddy just swings <laughs> the chair like it's a, a golf club like he's got a three wood oh my favorite is Eric grabs a chair and does the choo choo but with the chair to Necro's skull yep I just I popped big for that one I, that, was, that was good so here, here's the thing and then like, there's the Death Valley driver Necro gives <laughs> Oh man, it's like wow! I have tears in my eyes from laughing so hard thinking about the. <laughs> this is why you need to subscribe to the video tier of Patreon because you can see Hagar crying and like giddily laughing that these three men nearly killed each other, and then me just sitting here going, "These fucking idiots! <laughs> What's wrong with them?" I paid, I think. Eighty dollars for a ticket to the show. Eighty to a hundred for a front row seat. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think I went to a hundred until we went downstairs. Mm-hmm. Regardless, whatever the front row price was, and I'm disgusted by this match. Like I, I, I am delighted, and you are you are a delight right now. Like 
There, there. The one thing that I took away more than anything else in this match is that in 2021, chair shots to the head are like non-existent for the most part in mainstream wrestling. Um, you're going to see them on the the indie shows and stuff rarely, but like it's the sickest part of this match is the chair shots to the head. Everything else is tamer in comparison, but at the time you're kind of thinking, Oh my God, he tried to tiger driver him, but it, it was a pedigree through a table. That's crazier than just being whacked in the head with a chair shot. And now it's the polar opposite. It's just such a, a an intriguing contrast. Uh, you know, and then there's like the comedy element to this match of Necro roaming around ringside with the ring bell, just <laughs> dinging, dinging it at people. And then trying to hit people with it and throwing yeah. chairs at kneecaps. Like, what the fuck? There was a chair at a kneecap. He's trying to kneecap somebody. Oh, good lord. Like, it's just... It's enjoyable because of the extremes that all three guys went to. Mm-hmm. But it's the long-term damage that I... I feel right. badly about. And I, I have a hard time turning that button off in my brain. So by this point stuff. by this point in life, two thousand eight, do you think any of this stuff is things that we are unaware of or oblivious to? Yes. You do. You think that people getting hit and even in two thousand eight that people were oblivious to the fact that getting hit in the head of the chair is not a good idea. A oblivious to the to a certain extent. Yeah. Not like we're not doing this, no. But like, oh yeah, okay, all right. The match calls for it; it's fine. Mm. It's the Benoit stuff had happened by now. Yeah, it was a almost a year, seven months so, prior. You know, I I think in Chris Nowinski was around. Mm. Yeah. No, it was the next year he did this speech, right? Oh nine, Houston. I have no recollection of Nowinski doing a speech uh, until much until after I was no longer on the road. At least before I don't remember him doing a speech to the locker room. No, no, no. While no. I was traveling, it was not to the locker room. It was like oh. it was part of like WrestleMania weekend. Oh, maybe. Uh, yeah, I think that was the next year. Maybe. It was Orlando or Houston. One of the two. Uh, he talked about chair shots to the head, and then this same very night, there were chair shots to the head. So People know what they're doing to themselves. I know. I, it doesn't make me feel any better about it, especially when I like the people involved yeah. on a personal yeah. level. Yeah. Um, I, I just... There's certain things I see, and there's ways to do it safer, see? not safely. But I don't think that was being done to chairs at this point. 
<laughs> gimmicky so, any chairs in the ring of honor. <laughs> like gimmicky anything. Think of that we ever gimmicked was the board that got broken over Homicide's head. And even that gimmicking it is just putting a nail into it to break up the wood a little bit. And that's <laughs> a, a cage, of, cage of death available in the archives. Mm-hmm. Death for Dishonor 4. Yeah. yeah. Episode it, it, 2. It, nah. There's no chairs gimmick, no tables are being gimmicked. It just... I See, the chair thing does not make me uncomfortable. Not like headbutting corner posts. Yeah, that body makes me far more uncomfortable to watch back. Mm-hmm. Uh, even and even headbutting thinking, each other. But even thinking like, yeah, people know what these things are doing to themselves or have some idea uh, that, yes, repeatedly hitting a corner post with my brain is not the best idea. Um, I'm making the choice to do it. Hitting while getting hit in the head with a chair is not the best idea. I'm making a choice to do it. Um, the, 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 this does, I mean, uh, taking a fucking bump is rattling your brain. Um, there's extremes to it, obviously, of like what kind of damage it might do. You know, the multiple grades of concussion versus little micro ones, but like the chair shot thing does not bother me as much as the headbutting of corner post does. Um, right. You know, and we talked about unify. To protect uh, yourself from getting hit in the head with a chair. You can get your hand up and protect yourself a little bit. It's just the idea of these chair hurts your hand, bro. Okay. Foreheads are pretty hard. These aren't. Tape up your fingers. I, I, I just, I don't know. Or make a fist. How about that? Um, I think it was Matthew Randazzo. Is it Randazzo? Is that his last name? The wrote Ring of Hell? Yes. Yes. Um, who equated a bump to being in a 25-mile-an-hour car crash. Yeah. First time you get that instant headache, first bump you take, and you don't know enough to tuck your chin, your head hits the ring, head hits, hits, hits back. Yeah, we're thrown up just like that. Yep. Yeah. Glorious. Seven yeah. times I have had that euphoric feeling. Uh, but in this match, there's there is innovative violence. Which, speaking of innovative violence, you didn't happen to see uh, Tommy Dreamer with a man bun, did you? Oh, I've seen Tommy Dreamer with a man bun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I saw that today. Blew my mind. So they have a, a three-way... Be jealous. He can rock it better than you. He cannot rock it better than me. Yes, he jo- can. He has I would... far more hair than you to do it. No, he doesn't. Yeah, yes, he does. He probably has plugs or topics. Yeah. More hair than you do, Mr. Heyman. No, and no, that, don't listen to it. That's fake news. Hey, you got a built-in yarmulke. That's cool. No, that's uh, Senator Raskin. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I, I like People the... People like th- me are never going to go bald. You know, I'm just going to poke at you a little bit. I got a man bun right now. Yeah, you know what? Tom Dreams looks better. That's why you're hiding yours under a hood. No, no hood now. Mm-hmm. No hood now. Uh, but no, they have a three-way chop exchange, which I always like when there's a, a three-way match. You've got the three guys just 
orderly doing it. Uh, they, they redid that spot when you subbed in Go Shizaki uh, in May uh, in the three-way at a new level available in the archives. Necro hits the chair slam on Eric Stevens, who gets right back up and just, I mean, shotgun unloads chops on Necro. Uh, Strong goes for the sick kick on Stevens, who scoops him up midair for the air lariat onto the floor. I mean, ridiculous. Eric Stevens uh, then has Necro hitting him right in his head with a chair. So blood is just pouring out of the side of his head. Uh, we get a big choo-choo spot. Uh, whips Necro across the ring. Choo-choo with a chair. And uh, Butcher still doesn't go down. Uh, Death Valley Driver through the chair. Which the chair basically goes like flat. Yes. With the seat going the opposite way of where it's supposed to go. Yeah. Uh, Necro is insane. Uh, Roddy breaks up the pinfall, hits a half Nelson backbreaker through a chair, and then a Gibson driver through the table, which was actually the pedigree. Uh, Necro landed on his head. Uh, Necro gets dragged back into the ring. We get another Gibson driver, a Tiger I, driver. I called that one a Gibson of death because that that's <laughs> just, I mean, ridiculous. It's followed by the Tiger driver at 91, and Roderick retains at 17 minutes, 34 seconds. Um, so I, my theory as to why Necro was in the match, I was saving for after the match because it is literally the end of the match. It's somebody had to take the pinfall and you didn't want to beat Eric. Somebody's had to take the pinfall and Necker needed something to do. (laughs) Yeah, two reasons. And it's the FIB title. Outside of this match, no one cares. Nope. Uh, This is probably the one and only time you'll ever hear an FIP chant on a Ring of Honor show or on an FIP show because the 12 people who were in attendance at them did not care enough to ever chant FIP even when they were getting awesome wrestling. Uh, I think there was an FIP chant in Orlando. So mm. outside of the state of Florida, this may yeah. have been the only FIP this was, Hearing an FIP chant in New York City was very rare, but it was testament to the um, awesomeness of this uh, spectacle of violence. The, yeah, that that's perfect. <laughs> it's a spectacle. Thank you, Roddy. Thank you, Eric. And yes, even thank you, Necro, for providing us. It's a war. A fucking war. Yes. Uh, I don't know. I I didn't think Eric and Roddy would reach that kind of level of violence, but they did, and they would continue to raise the bar. And then set the bar to proclaim that they are the bar of violence. Uh, they should have been a full-time tag team. Mm-hmm. Pelly Primo needs your help. As a lot of you may know, friend of the show, Pelly Primo, shared his story as part of the Speaking Out movement last summer. Now, Pelly is facing a legal battle because of sharing his story. Help out Pelly by donating to his defense fund at GoFundMe.com slash FightPellyFight. That's GoFundMe.com slash FightPellyFight. 
And if you donate and show us at an honorable mention that you have donated to Pelly's Defense Fund, we have some perks for you. If you donate $50 or more, you get a year of ad-free access to an honorable mention, plus two DVDs from Jeff's DVD collection. If you donate $100 or more, you'll get ad-free access to the show for a year and two DVD sets from Jeff's personal collection. Help out our friend Pelly at GoFundMe.com slash Fight Pelly Fight. Uh, so we go from that violent spectacle of just gloom, violent, doom, and violence. death uh, to a really good video package of the last year celebrating year number five for Ring of Honor in business. And uh, that leads us into our main event. The reason we're all here. And uh, I'm going to just start this match description with the following revelation that this is the best match for the Ring of Honor world title in company history. I have moved this ahead of Brian and Kenta. Uh, I'm still torn on that one. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, this to me, as I tweeted while watching it at Hagador and Shane uh, on Twitter and Instagram, uh, is to after watching it back, and I think this is probably the third time I've watched it back for this podcast, uh, deserves to be spoken of in the same vein as Brian and Kenta, as Kenta and Key, as Joe and Kobashi, as Joe and Punk. As the first three-way, as Brian and Key from Round Robin Challenge, as Steen and Generico from Final Battle, it deserves to be spoken of as Unify in the same vein as Unified. As the latter, it is one of the best matches that Ring of Honor has produced in 19 years of its existence. And is the best match Brian and Nigel ever had against each other. And that's saying a lot. <laughs> and is one of the best matches either man had in their respective careers, period. I don't think Nigel had a better match ever. No, I I'm hard pressed to think of one. Uh, I don't think Brian had a better match ever. This is the perfect match. Yeah. Uh, different categories for Joe and Kobashi, and then this, but separate but equal. And like you said, this is the third time we've watched this match for this show. And every time I watch it, I've seen this match a dozen times yeah maybe more um it's probably the most watched match maybe the kenta match is i've seen a little bit more but i think maybe this is the third most watched match in ring of honor history for me i assume joe kobashi is your number one yeah strongly that's in the triple digits yeah I think I've watched that match more than any other wrestling match in the history of the business. Um, 
there is a if if you're planning to put together a wrestling match on a show this is the prototype that goes into production like this is so good and everything every this is the nucleus everything should come out of this match Lenny, I don't remember if it's Lenny or Dave because I didn't write down who said it, but one of them calls this ROH's most classic rivalry. Mm-hmm. Dave. And I'm... I 100% am on board with that. Yeah. Uh, it's the definitive rivalry in 19 years. Hard... Yeah. I mean, I would... For, for everything it encompassed... Um, I there's few other rivals I can think of I would even put up there on this scale uh, outside of like Steen Generico. But I, uh, I as don't far as look as far as something Generico that, is a rivalry. I look at that as a a blood feud. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I guess then you start getting into, into nitpicking of how you sure. classify um, that. But I think this match changes Brian and Nigel. Oh yeah, as to what they are in that vein too. Um, but yeah, I'm hard pressed because like Joe Punk edged three matches over the course of six months that were crucial to a time frame and were very important for Ring of Honor's life at that moment and they hold up wonderfully well there's Steen and Generico's rivalry that was the culminate like final battle 2010 is the culmination of a year plus of story and then it continues on into uh, feeding into you know more of Steen coming back and then they're into their ladder war and um and homicide but that didn't produce the matches that Brian and Nigel do I just I'm hard pressed to think of any other rivalry that's remotely touches what these two produced um in, in the ring and in the story because this match is this match as the pinnacle of what they create with each other is everything that came before it. This is their and now their role. Yeah, their roles are reversed for the first time. Nigel's the champion, as we talked about the open the show. Nigel is going into this as a massive fucking heel. Uh, uh, and Brian is willing to do whatever it takes to ensure the title match happens and acquiesce to things that he probably never would if it wasn't the anniversary show with the title on the line as far as no head strikes or whatever so they told the, they introduced the story for the night and this specific match but it's so 
much more. It's the unified generation now weekend of champions match. It's the gut check, right? Not the gut check, the epic yeah, encounter match. It's you know, it, it's the world title and Brian's desire to be a two, the first two time champion. There's just so much in this match, and then they pull in threads from Brian and Morishima's rivalry. They, it, it's it's just a fucking thing of beauty, and I cannot praise it enough. And then there's a crowd for this match. They're just so there and present. That's the one thing that when I left the building I didn't realize what I had seen I've grown to appreciate this match so much more over the last few years Mm -hmm. than I did at the time and when you look at the story of Brian and Nigel with Brian as the leader of that story the the higher ranking man in the story but really it's Nigel who is constantly a thorn in Brian's side and Brian knows he's coming and it just played into this match there's so many little things uh, that Nigel is doing with his body language in this match that Brian is portraying this absurd confidence that any normal person doesn't have. Uh, It's just... There's so many things. They know each other's moves. They know, you know, who's going to do what and when. Um, the, the, The real, like gem of a a spot that's done 8 minute and 40 some second mark 8.44 where it's a callback to Homicide and Brian that Brian's desperation to get himself disqualified and through Adam Pierce and your interference um, leading to the Homicide title win Uh, but this time it's done in reverse where it's Nigel using the cheating and getting himself disqualified by knocking Paul Turner the fuck out yeah Paul uh, <laughs> Paul just wrote I said I videoed it and said it's a Paul and he just wrote back snug <laughs> <laughs> Lancaster's finest Paul Turner a man of many words um I like I just I I love everything about this match mm-hmm. and there's so much to talk about but Nigel goes to the outside Brian comes down with the elbow suicida and, and the missile drop kick to the chest and not the head keep in mind uh, Nigel rolls out of the ring he's holding his head uh, and he's he's just like overly loud for for the purposes of emphasizing Brian going after his head. 
mm-hmm. and going back on his word. And then, obviously, this is where he knocks Paul Turner down, gets DQ'd. Uh, he attempts to walk out and only finds that the entire locker room, led by Austin Aries, are there to stop him from disrespecting the belt. I, I think the the point of the importance there is made by the fact that it's Aries, babyface-ish. Still technically. Mm-hmm. Kevin... Kevin, who is owed a title match. Delirious, which is kind of random at the time uh, for where he was, and there's no real issue there. But And then Roddy, the heel. Who knows that that belt is still important something. And is more important than his disdain for these people around him and their disdain for him, especially the Aries and Roddy thing. That belt is bigger than their hate for one another and their history. That, I think, there is such a nice moment to further impress upon the viewing audience and the audience in attendance how important that title is and how much it means to defend it with honor and respect. It's a whoa. Yeah. And then uh, the, the thing with Nigel, too, before even that happens, he was selling his head repeatedly even on simple things like a backdrop a suplex because you bump it rattles like we were talking about with the fib match so he's checking his head after the uh, after the dive he's checking his head after a back suplex like he's constantly kind of am i okay like i'm selling that he's not okay in his head Mm mm-hmm and it's just wonderful. And it, it's the because only match it's that bullshit. Like yeah. it's real. Like it's it's a real thing. But he is over dramatizing it to make it look like you said. Like Brian's going back on his word when he's not. He has not touched Nigel's head. And it's this just, is the only match that can work in something mm-hmm. so farcical. In the grand scheme of things, of, of the grand scheme of a wrestling match, something so farcical fits this story and this story alone. It is unique to Brian and Nigel. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing Nigel behave in a way he... And I think that that's what's such an important part is Brian, you said Brian's confidence. Well, he's confident because he's like he has a million ways to beat Nigel. He doesn't have to use the elbows or any other head strikes to do it. And he believes that Nigel will adhere. That is, he, he's still he, believing Nigel would respect the same thing. Respecting and, the belt and the legacy yes, of the belt. Yes. He's still thinking of Nigel as the guy he wrestled, you know, eight months prior, six months prior. And, and he's not. As that DQ, the intentional DQ demonstrates. And the back and forth between the crowd and Nigel, even before the DQ, is glorious. Like they're chanting at him, You're a bitch when he's selling his head. You're put like they're on him so hard. And he is just absorbing it. 
I think he was almost stunned by how voracious the crowd was. Well, yeah, I feel like he was absorbing it till Carrie, in his one of his rare moments, okay's the restart. And then Nigel just goes super fish. Like, Nigel is just nonstop verbal at that point. Like, once he takes control of the match, whenever he's in control, you know how we talked about Go taking his time between chops? Mm-hmm. Nigel hits a move to Brian's arm and then spends 30 seconds just burying the fuck out of the entire crowd and then coming back to his, 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 his attack. And then he's back on the crowd verbally. And it just, it's... There's so much emotion in this, and it's just heat. It is Nigel getting so much heat from this crowd and just doubling down on it. And that speaks to Nigel as a champion, and we talked about this a little bit last week on the Pint of McGinnis episode, but... Nigel always responded to the crowd one way or the other. It was a heel mm-hmm. or a babyface. Like, he knew how to play into the crowd's hand very early on. And some heels would sit there and go, I don't want to be, like, afraid for my life. And, and you see this especially, you know, uh, in the older days. But some heels would kind of draw a line at certain points. Nigel didn't give a fuck. Fuck that. Get her knife and stab me. Yeah. He's like, I'll I'll bring it on. Bring it on. There's one point he motions to the crowd with his mm-hmm. and it's he's left-handed, so he does it with his left hand. And his hand is it's not a fist of like or a middle finger or anything. It's just him going. Yeah. And he's got his his nose is tilted up in the air. He's got this smug look on his face. He's giving them the you know the the reverse peace sign. Fuck you. The whole constantly. Oh, that's at one. Yeah, at one point, Prezak says Nigel hasn't acted this acted like this since he was pure champion, and I think that's inaccurate. In that Nigel was never this. No, this is a new animal. He would. We talked about it. We did the pure title. He would play within the rules in a shitty shit heel fashion, but. He was never this like verbal with the fans in such in an aggressive fashion. And I think he was justified in being angry. Like the real human, Stephen Haworth was justified in being angry with these assholes uh, and how they were treating him. Uh, and that's that's why I said it was a perfect reality into the the the, the, the wrestling world. But he was never this as pure champion. He was never this heel. He was never vicious like this. It, it was more conniving and manipulative of of situations. You know, he beat Brian by a count out using the rules of the pure title. He never kicked he never he never outright cheated to be to try to be brian he never was a shit in how it felt in the matches with brian here he's a piece of shit by the end and it's he's a villain he's, he's using his feet 
You know, you have time to say paint brushing. You think like Razor Ramon smacking dudes on the head. Nigel's using his feet. He can't even be bothered to like get down on the ground to do it. He's like literally stepping on Brian, like paint brushing his Brian's head with his feet as he's walking over him and just with the crowd the whole time. And it, I get I got goosebumps as soon as I heard Brian's music start and they didn't stop. And I'm talking about it now and I'm still like, this is yeah, like, wow. And Despite all of it, Brian never strays. He never breaks. No matter when he gets him in the triangle, when he gets him in position where he could do the elbows, Brian never, no matter how bad Nigel is being and how much of an asshole Nigel is being, Brian sticks to his word. There is a certain gene, I think, in both these men that they just so they have this innate ability to fall into these characters and never leave them until they go through the magic finishing line of the curtain oh and the, even then it's like a deke sometimes some guys need a decompression yeah because it's it's hard i mean it, it is mentally hard to be these characters in the ring mm-hmm. on top of the physical nonsense that comes with this match. For instance, yeah. uh, Nigel gets dumped into the front row and Brian hits a springboard somersault plancha over the guardrail and probably lands like, I don't know, knocking over six, seven rows of chairs. <laughs> Which I think he had those who were never of... in those chairs. Well, I say for those anyone who was never in those chairs, they were zip tied together. Yeah, by by the building, it was like fire code mandated. They had to be the blocks of ten with a gap in between, and the tied chairs had to be like tied together. I, yeah, those, it sucked. It, it was horrible because if you had to move up, you were moving up ten seats. Yeah. Because the, the higher guardrails were in the Manhattan Center, too. Uh, so if you were short like me, you couldn't necessarily sit back in your chair, bang on the guardrail, or sit back in your chair and see the entire match. You had to lean up and look in. And that was often not possible when you're 5'9". But, so, Nigel gets back in the ring... Brian locks in the triangle choke. Still not going for the head. Nigel gets out, hits a lariat. Crowd goes off for their same old shit chant. Which I think was a crowd favorite. Yeah, but you know what was glorious about that lariat? Brian selling his jaw. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who does that? Brian selling of his jaw. uh, And that being put over on there. And then... Nigel going after the eye too from it. Like there's so <sighs> many like chef's kisses in this match. The Tower of London to the floor. Uh, Which Nigel sells as to his head. His head. Right. And and, and Nigel's mm-hmm. bleeding after yes. it too. Which mm-hmm. I I don't know No idea how. I don't even know how that happened. Like, but I mean, I don't think he hard weighed himself on that. 
Uh, I don't know. No just, idea. I don't know when he made the magical trip to, to Bladeland. Uh, and that goes, again, to show the credit of deceptiveness and timing. Um, they go to the top rope. Uh, Brian's up there. Nigel hits the big lariat up there. Uh, he puts in of the London Dungeon. There is a reference to that arm submission that was made. Uh, like the attempt at it, because that would come into play later. Uh, Brian hits Chaos Theory. Shout and out to Doug Williams. Which I went fucking banana live. Uh, and even when he hit it, and I'm watching it again, you know, I just was like, oh. You know, there, there are certain moves that when they are done right, you get you get that little lump in your chest of like, yep. I love this. This is why this is why I love wrestling with the chaos theory happens to be one of those moves. Uh, the the like exhaustion selling from both guys around this, this point is spectacular. This, I'm, I'm sure it's not point. selling. Either. No, no. This is the point when I wrote in my notes it became a real uh, battle of attrition. Like this was a who wants it more uh, because they have both thrown everything, you know. And with it here, with Brian adhering to his agreement, they have thrown everything they possibly can at each other. I mean, Nigel, they get back in the ring and Brian is throwing body blows instead of any forearms or yeah, punches. He's throwing body shots. And Brian had a great way of delivering those body shots, too. Um, just his body language from, you know, actually male boxing. Uh, great body language with throwing those body shots. And I always loved it when he would do the body shots and the guys would drop it. He's like, count them! He was he was and, demonstrative with his mm-hmm. verbiage in that and, and body language. Yeah, and that's the other thing. So like, Brian puts on cattle mutilation. Nigel does not tap, and Brian is wrenching the arms. Like he, is, the elbows are touching. You know, yeah. like it is. A violent cattle mutilation. It's not just oh, I'm going to beat him with cattle mutilation. I'm going to throw 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 on the submission. He is doing it in a violent manner. Um, Nigel's not tapping, so Brian says, "Well, I'll roll him into the elbow position." But instead of throwing the elbows, because those would be shots to the head, he tiger suplexes him, mm-hmm. and then goes right over into the most flawless float into a Fujiwara armbar in the history of wrestling followed by a triangle choke and he is just not like he has every opportunity in the world. Mm-hmm. Nigel mm-hmm. is toast but he is a man of honor, a man of his word there will be no shots to the head I, it's beautiful yep. this is a beautiful match it, yeah. it, it is everything I love about wrestling and I'm glad, like, before we get to the the, 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 the the moment, I'm glad that that was a, an agreement done in front of the live audience and not a video wire promo or a newswire blurb. Uh, 
because that helped create help add to the energy and the heat of this match that that agree that that gentleman's agreement uh, was done in front of the fans as opposed to done in a you know uh, in other fashion you know I'm not gonna say Twitter we didn't tweet in 2008 um, <laughs> it, uh, on the on the message board or on a newswire blurb or in a video wire promo um doing it in front of a live audience was the best call not only did did it it was it the right call but it I think either way, you're going to have the fans in those moments where Brian has every opportunity to throw uh, the elbows. It's it's like, well, we want him to throw the elbows, but he's still not doing it. Mm-hmm. So then we go right into the, the finishing sequence, and Brian is just hitting Nigel with body shots, and they're going back and forth. And then all of a sudden, Nigel just rears back and fucking headbutts Brian right in the eye. Just, and then there's this look on Nigel's face of like, fuck you, 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 not you, 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 not you, 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 and like all around the, like, he is dis, he's like snapped. Mm-hmm. And he he hits a massive lariat, and then he starts throwing the elbows at Brian's head. And I don't know about you, but they didn't look very safe. <laughs> at least in it was, my it was eyes. rough. It was rough. And I I'm pretty sure Brian invited it because we gotta make this thing look as real as possible. Nigel locks on the London Dungeon, and uh, aka that arm submission. It was not the same that arm submission. It's that arm submission. It's a different that arm submission. That arm that arm submission two. Yes. Two. Well, I guess it would be that arm submission two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. Or that arm submission oh eight. Whatever, whatever way you want to look at it. Brian is unconscious and the match is stopped at the 30 minute mark and fuck my God. Like there's no, there's absolutely no way you could have done this any better. Yeah. Uh, This is the most beautiful. I'm sure Brian and Nigel both would tell us how they could have done better. (laughs) If they were. If they were not under WWE contract, yeah, they would be, sure be here right now. I'm sure that, you know, you can think of some way to have made it even better. But, uh, yeah, it is it is as it is as flawless as I think as you can get out of a wrestling match, uh, both in terms of storytelling and the, the action, the moves, the crowd. Um, just fucking beautiful. Wonderful piece of, of, of work. Never it's, have never rarely have two men play fighting in their underwear been a more entertaining thing to watch. I say that in all jest, uh, of course, because I myself have play fought in my underwear in front of people. Um, you are never, a nah, man. This is man. Nah, fuck now. 
God, now. Uh, man, yeah, this match is just... It's... I, I, I don't know what else you can say about this. Yeah. Because, you know, you look at the Joe Kobashi match and you say, okay, this is an iconic spectacle that will last forever. And then you look at this match and you go, okay, this is a story that you can... And I I listened to a podcast about the show Entourage where they talk about having these characters that didn't need to be in every episode, but when they would pop back up six or seven episodes later, you knew exactly where they were picking up. And that's how I viewed... They used the example of the Beverly D'Angelo character. Um, she was uh, the uh, Barbara Mitchell, the other agent at Ari Gold's agency. She wasn't on every episode, but when she appeared, something important was happening with one of the characters. When Nigel and Brian connected, something important was happening. There was never a... Let's just go through the motions with these two guys. They made each other better by wrestling each other. They raised each other up every time equally. There was never a match where one man benefited more than the other. And even though the record was what it was, that didn't matter. Nigel won by losing every time he he took an L. Yeah, or got a shortcut victory, and here Nigel used everything in the in his bag of tricks, and then snapped. And finally, he had had enough of that stupid crowd with the stupid ignorant people who didn't give a shit about him personally, and he channeled it into the rage at the end of this match. And it's a beautiful fucking moment. Yeah. I, w- I was curious as we were sitting here, like, what, what was the Observer match of the year for 2008? And it was the latter match between Jericho and Sean. Um, yeah, no, they did. They no did Mercy the ladder match? Uh, yep. No Mercy, exactly. In October. Uh, that was a damn good match. Better than this, though? Um, I don't think so. I mean, there was a great story. It was a great story. Uh, I actually prefer... I like their unsanctioned match better uh, in terms of the matches they had with each other there. There was a Uh, bunch of matches that I liked better than the latter match, though. But that was the match of the year for 2008, and I'm like, nope. (laughs) I don't... I would take take this one uh, over that. By a long shot, and give Brian his second in a row because Morishima was 2007. I wonder where um, this Manhattan Mayhem. I don't know. It just it just, it only has the results. It doesn't have like rankings of anything. Uh, but yeah, this is uh, Gabe's four and a half years God, away from damn. having the Observer ready to, to 2008 mm-hmm. online. Uh, uh, yeah, this is just a, a thing of beauty and. What a way to end the night. What a way to kick off your seventh year of being in business. I mean, this is... You now have another, like, officially a face to add to the Mount Rushmore. 
Hey, we're ba- this is basically the first show of our third year. As is far it? as yeah, as far as when we were when we put them live, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Look at us. Yeah. So we decided to do a throwback to our seventeen-hour shows that we started with and give you a four-hour. <laughs> Unintentionally, but that's only because the show was so much fun. It was, and even if even if it's not the most like complete package of a show where every match is a banger, every match is a must-see. Um, when the worst thing you can say about a show as a whole is that it was pretty good wrestling with Joey and Kevin match. As far as the in-ring content, I mean, I was to bury the fuck out of the the Larry Sweeney show segment on here. Um, but everything else on the show, like, and then you know, just Sarah and Daisy. Just I think we have, with that we have such high expectations of what they are capable of together that this was disappointing. Um, but that's just I think in part because we both know that they have some hell of good matches. That are a lot that that are far exceed the one that happened here. Yes, um, but yeah, this is such a, an overall entertaining show. So I'm sure it's probably on eBay for like seven hundred dollars or some ridiculous thing. But I know where you could get it else. for the low low price of twelve dollars. Where is that, Jeffrey? Patreon.com backslash an honorable pod. If you sign up for the video tier, you can. So select this as one of your monthly selections. Um, I adore this show. Uh, I did not adore staying in New York an extra day. Uh, I ah, did not. Shit. This is low as $16 on eBay, so it's not one of those ones that people are trying to sell for stupid amounts. Yeah, there's some that are way up there in price. Um, but this is this is a, a a show that one match elevates a pretty solid show into a you must see this match and have this DVD in your collection. Yep, absolutely. There's absolutely. there's no excuse if you've never seen this Nigel and Brian match, you cannot call yourself a Ring of Honor fan. This match is on their YouTube account. I shared it already as I was watching it. I will share it again. It is in the Nigel McGinnis playlist that I made. It's, yeah, probably in another playlist. I'm sure it's in multiple playlists that we've made. So uh, there are plenty of ways to watch this match. It is the best match of 2008. It's one of the three best matches in Ring of Honor history. And... I don't know what else we can say about this show other than looking ahead and uh, doing some social media plugs. Yes. Then I got to go pee. Well, you could be like me and just make the go long sign Uh, during the show. I have the the bladder the size of a a penny. Oh. Actually, it's the size of a penny. Ask ask our group uh, what me about me and uh, bathroom stops in the truck. No stops. No, not my bladder. <laughs> frequent stops. Oh, frequent stops. So, see, like our rule in sometimes, the car now is no it varied. Stops. It varied. Sometimes it was no stops, and sometimes it was uh, gotta stop. 
when you drink wow. 17 energy drinks in like a two-day period you yeah you tend to lose control yes and on that note, next yeah. week on an honorable mention, we will lose control of ourselves, probably our minds as well, as we travel all the way back to six years prior to the date of the show that we covered today, and we cover an era of honor begins. The very first show in Ring of Honor history on its 19th birthday. And I think we'll be watching the original version, not the Honor Club version, so we can experience the whole painful first 10 minutes and see what has been excised from the product uh, on the Honor Club version. That is correct. Uh, and then we kick off the month of March, Winter Warriors 2015, Dayton. We go March 9th, Reloaded Tour 2015, California, Pennsylvania. Uh, Robert. Can we just call it Great Reloaded Tour, Robert, California? Uh, sure. Robert, California, Pennsylvania. That is Robert, California. Oh, Robert, California. Okay. You, um, if you watch more Office, you'll get... Is that like a, somebody's fake name, like Michael Vick used Ron Mexico? No. no. Uh, Road to Best in the World 2016, Collinsville is March 16th. March 23rd, we go all the way to 2017. Global Wars 2017, Columbus. Summer Supercard 2019, March 30th. And then the month of April schedule will be coming to you on a show much shorter than this one. On social media, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at an honorable pod. Twitter still has not let me out of Twitter jail for my original Twitter account. So I am at Mr. Jeff Schwartz Zero on Twitter and Instagram, facebook.com, search Jeff Schwartz, put a space between Jeff and Schwartz, and I will click accept on your friend requests. Partner, where can we find you on the internet beside this show is very long.org? And Haggard Orange Shane on Twitter and Instagram, Shane Haggard on Facebook, go to youtube.com backslash an honorable pod, and just as important, if not more so, probably more so, um, I just brain farted. GoFundMe.com backslash yes. fight, Kelly, fight. As well as All I could link think of in was Indiegogo. My brain just kept saying oh Indiegogo. God. I'm like, no, it's not Indiegogo. Why is my brain saying Indiegogo? You know why? Because that's what Nigel used to fund Last of McGinnis. Was oh. Yeah, that's all my brain could think of was Indiegogo. It's not Indiegogo. No, it's GoFundMe.com backslash Fight Pelly Fight. And as of right now, on February 11th, uh, Pelly's GoFundMe is at $10,380. So by the time we start The Air of Honor Begins next week, let's see if we can get that to double. Oh, if, if we get a double, that'd be great. Amazing. Um, I, I'll tell you what. I'm not even going to talk about this with you. We will do a bonus show. For regular listeners, non-Patreon bonus show. I don't know of what. If we can double this by April 1st. All righty. Do, we will do a, a bonus show 
maybe a watch along, maybe a interview. I don't know what, but some sort of bonus show uh, for GoFundMe.com backslash Fight Pelly Fight. Uh, if we can double this by April first, cool. So, let's double the GoFundMe fund, but let's by next week let's get it to twelve k. So that's another uh, seventeen hundred dollars, sixteen hundred and twenty dollars. Let's do it. I think we can. Let's support Pelly, and uh, let's get justice. Uh, we are brought to you by the Creative Control Network. Be sure to follow the head of the Creative Control Network. Be sure to follow Mr. Joe Feeney. He is on Twitter at JFF, ha ha, double E, ha ha, any Y. 3RD at the CC Network 1. Follow the latest news and notes on the Creative Control Network. Be sure to follow our verified scientist of sound, our astronaut of audio, our purveyor of production, the technician of trouble, the bass master general, the ace of action figures, the best broadcast machine, the award winning autocrat of advertisement, the cleaner of audio. Mr. Zach Johnson, he is on Twitter and Instagram at Radio ZT. He delivers us the best intro and outro every single week, making sure we sound cooler than the other side of the pillow. Anyone with information regarding the murder of my dear friend Carnell Sledge and his friend Catherine Brown on June 4th, 2019, is asked to please call the Federal Bureau of Investigation for the City of Cleveland, 216-622-6842. There is a $100,000 reward distributed upon conviction. It has been entirely too long. This is officially a cold case. And the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, for the city of Cleveland wants your tips. So please call them and pocket $100,000 once we get these bastards and put them in jail forever. Having said that, there is only one thing left to do, and that is to quote... The Honorable Mayor of an Honorable Mention, Sauronaro, no need to trip out. It's time to dip out. Slap the porpoise. This one is over. We're out. Be kind to one another. Keep your chin up, and we'll see you next week. The air of honor begins. I hope you take my commentary out of this match, because I don't want to have anything to do with it. What a fucking abortion. Holy shit. I see trees of green. Red roses too I see them bloom For me and you And I think to myself What a wonderful world I see skies of blue And clouds of white Right, blessed day, the dark sacred night, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. The colors of the rainbow, so pretty in the sky, are also on the faces. Of people going by, I see friends shaking hands, saying, How do you do? They're really saying, I love you. I hear babies cry, I watch them grow, they learn much more than I never knew. 
And I think to myself What a wonderful world Yes, I think to myself What a wonderful world 